0: Open loops. Do to open loops. Open loops, open, looops. open, looops. open loops. Open loops. <laughs> Open Loops,
1: you must listen to the Open Loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open
0: Loops.
2: Your Conscious Mind Wonders what happened to World Trade Center Building 7. Perhaps a better question is what happened to Buildings 3, 4, 5, and 6. Think on that. Your unconscious mind is the one we're talking to. You're now tuned in to your favorite late-night talk show. For the shamelessly fringe, it's open loose with Greg Bornstein. Conversations that bend. What's going on? My oh my The Loopers are here. You're here, Looper. Greg Bornstein, cultural hypnotist, consciousness disruptor, curator of Capital E, Experience. And Chief Looper, welcome to the show that dares to challenge your existing belief systems by sharing radically unique ideas designed to stimulate your unconscious mind and allow you to step into the highest version of yourself. Whew. Try to get that all out in one breath. Yes, yes we we're talking we're talking some weird stuff on this show right the fringe the supernatural the esoteric the abstract the philosophical the psychoanalytical the mysterious the esoteric uh metaphysical really really the uh really the things that that make you go huh the things that open your mind up the possibilities magic hypnosis and of course we attempt to answer the deepest questions of them all, who and what we really are. Eh, what am I kidding? You, you attempt. I got the answers for you. You want to know? You want me to just want me to just slip the answer to you? Spoiler alert on this podcast, on all the podcasts. I tell you who and what you really are. You're not gonna. You're not gonna come back and listen. What is this? I can't. I can't just divulge that to you? I I mean, I... You want to know? You really want to know who and what we really are? You want to know? I'll tell you next time. Actually, I'll I'll tell you what an open loop is next time. People ask what that is, and... Well, we'll get back to that later. Hey, by the way, this episode is fascinating. Wow. I, uh... I I I don't always I don't always get bombarded with new takes on conspiracy, uh, and especially not takes that reflect my overall feeling about it. I mean, I feel like there is two camps, right? There is kind of this: either you believe in the conspiracy theories, and you really believe in the, and you know you you've heard people even on this show say. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a realist. So, I mean, take that. But interpret that how you will. And then you get the other side. Oh, yeah, they're, they're all bunk. And since the beginning, even way back, I was saying that I am agnostic when it comes to this stuff, and a lot of my beliefs are modeled, from someone like Robert Anton Wilson. I kind of naturally... It's not that I read Robert Anton Wilson's work. Uh, great stuff. Prometheus Rising, Quantum Psychology, Cosmic Trigger. I mean, the Illuminatus uh, trilogy with Robert Shea. Really good stuff. It's not that I just read that stuff, though, and then was like, oh, that's where I am. I naturally was somewhere going, Oh, these ideas are interesting. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the journey of my guest, Robert Guffey, exactly mirrors that. He also stumbled upon conspiracies from fringe literature. Uh, as as a writer looking at these classic zines, gosh, I wish magazines were still a thing. I mean, I know it's terrible for the environment, and but but uh, everything's so digital now. And there's something about holding writing in your hand that's special it's uh it's nostalgic you know i i know the kids all all the gen zers listening to this are like okay might as well be a boomer millennial you're crapping on physical paper but no 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 there, there was something very special about that uh and i have to tell you i i think that robert Really, <laughs> is is somebody that uh, it, it, he sings the song of my heart in the sense that he he became even though he is not one hundred percent a believer, he's not one hundred percent a disbeliever, but he's interested enough to want to learn the ins and outs of every conspiracy theory, and he did, as you'll hear, and his interpretation his deconstruction of the qAnon movement is so interesting i it, he brought things in i mean i knew from different documentaries and and just reading or not even documentaries just reading articles and seeing what was going on that this was the this was the mega conspiracy this was this was a different kind of conspiracy going on very interesting, very fascinating, and the way Robert is able to provide a perspective based on years of conspiracy study, at the very least is worth listening to. I know some of you listening are going to go, okay, Greg, wait, what? Who's this guy? Does this guy not believe? He sounds like more of a skeptic. In, in a way, he might be compared to other people you've heard on this show. But as I said in the beginning, I'm never ever settling for one specific direction. I love having my beliefs challenged and even still Robert's not a complete disbeliever. So it's a uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I I I do try to get to the bottom of the Q dilemma um with him and his book Operation Mind but, yeah, no, I'll just say it, Operation Mindfuck, QAnon in the Cult of Donald Trump. It's coming out July 6th, but I'm very grateful he came on the show to talk about it beforehand. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing book, especially when you get Alan Moore, the Watchmen guy, and Mitch Horowitz, who is... You know, the coolest dude in esotericism. <laughs> esotericism? Um, yeah. In esoteric philosophy and whatnot. Uh, he's the guy right now. Mitch Horowitz. I mean, check it out. if you. He's very much doing a great job making the esoteric and the metaphysical cool. So, to get those two praising this, people that are leaning more towards the magical, still means that it's a valuable contribution. Um, and, hey, look... For all I know, Q is real. He was appointing someone to speak out on behalf of him and deconstruct the movement. It's kind of like an anti-Banksy, uh, exit-through-the-gift-shop move. But really, I'm actually Q, and this interview is me creating some kind of psychological operation. It's It's interesting. How the paranoid think. That said, perceptual psychology and QAnon is what we get into in this interview. It's very special. It's very interesting. And I highly encourage you, if you like what you hear, please let me know. Uh, if you could go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Open Loops. And leave a couple words about how you're liking the show, what's sticking out to you, what kind of things you're learning. I would love it. I'd love to connect with you too. I've had a few people reach out. Seems that people want more of the Michael McIntosh interview. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love hearing from listeners. Feel free to reach out to me at the Greg Bornstein on Instagram, as well as uh, check out Open Loops Podcast on YouTube. Sometimes we put up exclusive interviews before they come out on the show or other exclusive fun events. All right, Robert Guffey is my kind of guest, an intellectual escapist or an escapist intellectual. You decide. Either way, he's a looper. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yes, today on Open Loops we have Robert Guffey, writer, researcher, it seems like, um, as well as a professor, uh, and very interesting stuff. I mean, a full range of different titles for. I mean, novels. Uh, we we have this book called Bella Lugosi's Dead, which. I love old-time horror, so, I mean, that that's fascinating. Um, Camellio, A Strange But True Story of Invisible Spies, Heroin Addiction, and Homeland Security, another book title. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of in this open-loops uh, territory where we get into things that are a little a little taboo to talk about, perhaps. But the book today that I'm very curious about and, and I'm very fascinated to delve into is Operation Mindfuck q in the cult of donald trump uh coming coming soon in about a month uh and I, I i i'm i'm very intrigued to go into this because i still don't know what to make of q and i'm curious if robert has any answers so um robert hey thanks so much for coming on the show
1: i thank you for uh inviting me on
2: absolutely absolutely uh yeah so i know we were talking a little before that this qanon thing is in a way a modern horror story um out of curiosity you uh how did how did you get interested in this topic of all things
1: uh well um I published my first article in 1996 in the pages of Paranoia magazine, which was a, uh, a conspiracy-centric zine. Um, and and a long-lasting one, because it started um, right about the late 80s, early 90s, and went on um, well into the 2000s before uh, Joan D'Arc uh who was the uh, publisher editor uh decided to sell the magazine to to someone else so there was a uh, i was fascinated early on um, in the early 90s with all these zines that kind of popped up out of nowhere that were very much interested in alternative thought um, outsider artwork um, and conspiracy theories Paranoia was one, uh, Steam Shovel Press, which I also published in, um, there was a magazine called Flatland, uh, Prevailing Winds, which was a more serious one, um, Lobster, which was in England, um, on and on. The Anomalist was was up for more of a paranormal, Fordian uh, zine, uh, and uh, there were so many of them, and they really fascinated me for a variety of different reasons, mainly because uh, I almost saw them as this interesting uh, study in perceptual psychology. Uh, Hmm. These magazines didn't seem to have any particular political or ideological point of view. In other words, all kinds of different conspiracy theories would be published under the same roof. Uh, So you'd have one conspiracy theory that was clearly intended to be satire, another one that was deadly serious but, you know, from a far left point of view, and then there would be you know, far right wing, uh, almost like white supremacist <laughs> conspiracy theory, right. uh, um, uh, published side by side with something that was ideologically on the other end of the spectrum. Um, some stuff that was meant to be humorous, some stuff that was unintentionally humorous, yeah. uh, some stuff that was very well written, and some stuff that was not well written at all. Uh, and, uh, it was all merged together into this kind of weird, uh, anarchic chaos. Uh, so that aspect of it fascinated me. Um, and then, um... I'm already, uh, I'm already so
2: on. with you, by the way, this is, I, I am, I feel like such the wonder of this. Uh, I, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, I think that's what intrigues me about the conspiracy people too. And, and as somebody that has entertained people on the show that are uh, really adamant believers, I think the, sometimes the way it's presented, I, I don't know if I would have been as interested in conspiracies if I wasn't reading those early geo cities websites where they just had terrible font and and it was just so obscure and it seemed like it was one person pouring their mind out i mean to me that's what's intriguing about it so to 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 have that in a that literary form that that physical form uh i'm totally with you there
1: I think another thing that fascinated me about it was there was something kind of vaguely punk rock about it. it what you didn't need a Ph.D. in conspiracy theory to write about it. It's yes. something you initiate yourself into. You know, in that way, it's almost similar to ufology. Uh, I mean, what? there are ufologists. There are those few ufologists who are like actually real scientists, or like Jacques Vallée, who was a computer scientist, or Stan Friedman, who was an actual physicist. Uh, but most ufologists just sort of self-initiate themselves yes. into it. Uh, and so that kind of, that interested me, uh, me as well. And also, at the time, in the early 90s, I was getting my BA at uh, CSU uh, Long Beach, um, and I had to, often you're called upon to write essays about subjects that you have absolutely no interest in when you're in school. Uh, but you have to generate some sort of interest in it in order to get the, the job done, right? So I, I challenged myself as I was discovering these zines, I thought, Okay, every time I get an essay assignment, I'm going to tie it into some conspiracy theory. <laughs> <And> <laughs> wow. So it, was, it was a challenge to me to do that and to do it in such a way where I would get you know, a respectable grade on the paper. Uh, uh, so it had to make sense in an academic sense uh but also I wanted it to tie in. and I and then I realized oh I can write it for an essay assignment and then turn around and publish it in these magazines so yeah. I was doing double duty uh I, I would publish it in the magazine but I uh so whatever the class was I had one that was called alternative media where where we we were it was a communications class we were studying various forms of alternative media so I used that as an, as an excuse to write about these conspiracy theories um uh and and, and these zines. Um, I, ha- I had a Shakespeare class, so I wrote an essay about uh was Shakespeare a Freemason? Oh
0: my uh, gosh. And then
1: uh and then uh which started out as a joke. And then by the time I finished writing it I was like I knew it. Uh Shakespeare was a Freemason. Um, and uh, uh that, that essay was in paranoia in fact you can find it in my first book, uh Cryptoschatology. Wow. Why I made up crypto is latin for secret and scatology means the study of shit so you put it <laughs> together and it's the study of secret shit so that's that 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 was my
2: that was my, my field you are you are a very interesting person, holy crap, this is good <laughs> stuff. this is good and wait a minute so <laughs> first of all, I want to check out all your books now um and including yeah that that's cryptoschatology. um I want to ask about the essays uh was that i mean did, why why were you able to get away with that in an academic setting? do you think did you get away with it?
1: okay, so most of the time I was able to Writing in such a way where I did get away with it, and I would get an A on the paper because it was just it was just so well argued that you couldn't, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> yeah. couldn't you you couldn't give me a low grade on it. Uh, but there was one person who tried. I was, it was in the Shakespeare class, and I, I I was very proud of that of that Masonic Shakespeare essay because I thought, okay, she must have gotten the same damn essay every year about Macbeth. So this is going to be really new and interesting to her. And I got it back, and it was said F on it. And I was like, "What the hell?" And uh, I had I, had a, I met, met with her in my in her office, and I was like, "What? What's this all about?" And she goes, "Well, you know, according to all legitimate historians, the Freemasons didn't exist until 1717 uh, in in print form. So how could it be that the symbolism existed in Shakespeare's uh, uh, Macbeth?" And I said, "Well, actually." freemasonry existed in print form from 1717 onward but it existed as an oral tradition earlier uh oh my and gosh. and now the funny thing is that since then that has actually been uh confirmed because uh, we've now found earlier examples in print of masonic initiations that actually do extend back to 1600 which would which would put us in the time frame
2: holy moly uh,
1: <laughs> so so my my sort of um uh intuition uh, uh turned out to be absolutely correct um so so when we consider the oral tradition that it that freemasonry had to exist in because it had to be passed you know from mouth to mouth because otherwise uh the people involved in it would be you know <laughs> burned at the stake uh yeah. by, by by the pope um uh, we we can extend the existence of Freemasonry further into the past, uh, and and so um, uh, I I thought I was able to successfully argue that in fact the Masonic symbolism I was detecting in Macbeth was actually there either either intentionally or if if you want to go into some sort of union realm and that these are sort of like uh, almost Joseph Campbell archetypes that are floating around. Um, nonetheless, there was a, a clear connection uh, between the symbolism and, and, um, of, of Freemasonry and the symbolism that's there in, in Macbeth. Um, and even if you don't want to say it's Masonic in nature, I think it's reasonable to conclude that it was Hermetic uh, in nature, right. uh, Gnostic um, in its tendencies. Uh, wow. and, and so uh, I argued, she, she said, well, because uh, I continued to argue with her, and she said, well, write all this down in a letter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 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 presented to me, and I said, "Okay." Uh, and I so I wrote it all in a letter. And I gave it to her, and she said it was still an F. So then I took it to uh, the. You can actually um, contest a grade. Oh. Uh, so I, I actually officially contested the grade, and I put together all my evidence, and I was told that we would have to both go to this like like board meeting or something. I was imagining like something from Orson Welles adaptation of uh, Franz Kafka's The Trial. It was going to be some like uh you know, German expressionist set. Uh we were have to go to and there would be, be these looming shadowy figures behind these podiums and we were going to have to state our case, but uh, and I was getting all revved up for it. I was like it's like raging bull. I was like you know a rocky, yes. I was getting all trained up for it like a, uh and I, I was like really excited. Uh, I wanted to build a like state my uh my case uh in front of the board uh and uh <laughs> instead, I just got this letter in the mail one day that said it's been changed to an a uh you know we we the board has read your material, it has been changed to an A." Uh, which on one hand, I was, I was happy about that. On the other hand, I was like, I wanted to go to this board meeting and, uh, (laughs) argue this, with her in the room you know
2: what is were you? okay this is i mean look as much as i i i could really get into this uh the topic matter i mean what you tell me a little bit about what is driving you here i mean did you just do do you enjoy the the game of of intellectually outdoing people like kind of poking fun at institutions using uh rhetoric and whatnot is is that the driver there or is it something else? Well, uh,
1: that's interesting. That, that's a pretty good way of describing it. I wouldn't have thought to describe it that way, but that's that's not an an illegitimate way of describing it. <laughs> but on the other hand, so there is there is that aspect to it. But then on the other hand, there's also, like I said, when I first came up with the topic for the Shakespeare essay. My my first thought was I was going to try to argue that Shakespeare had been abducted by aliens. Uh, that was my first thought, and then and then I thought that's going too far. You know, I mean that's obviously that's obviously crazy. So uh, uh, so I needed to, to uh, take it down a few notches to something else. But but and I and this actually I heard an interview once with the novelist Tim Powers, who uh, Tim Powers is a science fiction fantasy writer, and he writes a lot of uh, historical novels. Uh, novels uh, in which, um, for example, one called *The Stress of Her Regard*, where the, the main character is uh, uh, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, um, and he will take these historical figures and then put them in some sort of fantastical setting that is often conspiratorial in nature, dealing with secret societies or you know some sort of uh, conspiratorial shenanigans going on um, in the 1700s, and he'll and he said that he would come up with this kind of the, the historical setting, the characters, and then whatever the kind of science fictional fantastical idea that he has to put them in. And then he would start doing research and he said by the time he had finished researching the novel before he started writing it, he would conclude, "Oh, wait a minute! You know, I thought I was making up this conspiracy theory, but actually, I'm discovering it. Like it's all lining up perfectly. You know, wow. this thing that I thought was ph- phantasmagorical. Uh, by the by, the end of it, he's almost convinced himself that he actually stumbled on something that actually happened. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, and, and so that's kind of that's what it was like with the the uh, Shakespeare was a Freemason. It started out as." Uh, Kind of making fun of academic writing, yeah, and, and how you know boring it is, and uh, and then by the time I was finished writing it, I I had convinced myself that in fact this was actually true.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and did you actually? Were you actually convinced, or or do you kind? Of, because I think I ride the the line for sure on this show. I mean, I even my my roommate recently lambasted me because she she said Greg. I think nobody has no idea what's going on on your podcast. I think everybody comes through <laughs> and listens and thinks you 100% believe in all these people. And I'm saying, and I've said from the beginning, and I'll say it now: I am agnostic. I am conspiracy agnostic. A lot of them teeter on the edge of. Oh, come on, give me give me some proof here. Um, but. At the same time, it's it's you know I I question the idea of proof and and how much we can know and all these epistemological questions. Anyways, um, but yeah, what what would you say you are in terms, or at least at that point in your life? Did you convince yourself in the way that you were going? Oh no, this is this is for real, and I deeply believe this.
1: Oh okay, I I, I you know it's sort of similar to Robert Anton Wilson. That's uh, what I was the that...
2: other comparison. Yeah.
1: He he said he didn't believe in one giant grand monolithic conspiracy because if if there was one giant monolithic conspiracy controlling everything, the world would make sense. (laughs) But (laughs) the world – does not make sense therefore we can only conclude that there is not one giant monolithic conspiracy but but perhaps a bunch of different little conspiracies <laughs> all vying <laughs> for control that's, that's what i, I was
2: going to say that's what you sound like when when you were writing these papers i immediately thought of everything robert anton wilson did with the illuminatus trilogy you see, i mean it's you, you were doing a version of that just in the academic world
1: Sure. I mean, Illuminati trilogy is very much is all about. I mean, on one hand, uh, on the surface level, it's 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 a fun, crazy kind of gonzo, absurdist, surreal, metaphysical adventure. And then, but then, underneath all that, it really is an examination of perceptual psychology, uh, and how the Illuminati uh, becomes this kind of Rorschach blot. Uh, right. Uh, uh, for the people who are viewing it. So if you are a far right winger, the Illuminati are socialists and communists um, trying to take over the United States with by putting fluoride in the water or whatever it is. And then if you're if you're on the far left, the Illuminati are, you know, uh right-wing Nazis uh who are you know in control of all the corporations of the world um, attempting to enslave people to capitalism perhaps. Uh, you know, it, depending on where you are in the political spectrum, the Illuminati, quote-unquote, become something completely different. Right. Uh, and and so that, that w- which Robert Shea, and w- everyone always forgets to mention Robert Shea, who's the co-author of Illuminati Illuminati's Realty. Right, right, uh, right. Robert, Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson successfully uh, analyzed that theme throughout the entire book um, in a humorous way. Yeah. Uh, Had you read that by the
2: point you were doing the zines, or or was that uh, kind of a coincidence?
1: uh, Let's see. By that point, I had—yes, I I had read Robert Anton Wilson definitely by that point.
2: Awesome. Awesome. I love that— Definitely,
1: definitely an influence. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so sorry, back to the main question. When you're convincing yourself— in, at this point, that Shakespeare is a, a mason. I mean, what is, what is, yeah, what, is, what is your perceptual psychology doing?
1: Uh, okay, so I, I like it, depending on the subject. Sometimes you can contain two different ideas in your brain at the same time. Uh-huh. So, in other words, at one point, my brain could be thinking, "Oh, yes, I can see that this is possible," and then the other half of my brain is thinking, "That's completely insane." Uh, in that particular case, I would say that um, – uh, I, I, I would say that I think it's probable uh, that Shakespeare, whoever Shakespeare was, uh, that that Shakespeare uh, w- w- was very knowledgeable about hermetic and Gnostic symbolism.
0: That makes um, sense. Whether or
1: not he was a member of – the Freemasons is open to debate, I would say, but I would say that it's extremely probable that he, that the author of Macbeth was very knowledgeable about that esoteric symbolism. Got it. I, I don't think that that that's unreasonable.
2: Yeah. Very cool. So okay. So the, the, these milestone college essays happen. You're starting to get your stuff into zines, uh, and then you know where wh- where does your conspiracy intrigue move from there?
1: Well, uh, um, you know it's it's interesting how this all leads to the analysis of QAnon because I, I heard an interview recently with uh, Jonathan Bankin uh, who wrote. Well, first he wrote The 50 Greatest Conspiracies and then expanded it to, I think, The 80 Greatest Conspiracies. Oh, I'm not familiar with
2: that work, actually.
1: Oh, Jonathan Bankin, yeah, very much. Also influenced by Robert Anton Wilson. Um, That was a very good encyclopedic kind of book that came out in the late 80s, uh, initially as The 50 Greatest Conspiracies, but he kept updating it. And uh, I heard him interviewed on a podcast called uh, Conspiranormal, uh, like last year. And he recently wrote a a book called Close to Zero, How Donald Trump Fulfilled His Apocalyptic Vision and Paid His Debt to Putin with a Devastating Biological Warfare Attack on America. That's a mouthful, that title. Um, Hard hard to (laughs) remember it. Wow. uh, uh the, the which by the way I, I started reading the book I haven't finished the entire book but it, it is intriguing I don't know if I uh can 100% say I agree with his conclusions but it is a fascinating book uh um but Jonathan Vanden said that when he was writing like the 50 greatest conspiracies in in the 80s he saw conspiracy theory as a, a kind of um essentially uh, anti-establishment um uh methodology, uh, that that it was something that was poking a stick uh, at the um, at the establishment and, and did have that kind of like punk rock kind of attitude towards it. And he, he said that when he saw the events of January 6th unfold uh, before his eyes, he kind of almost felt like a, a tinge of guilt of <laughs> having been <laughs> an early uh, yeah. proponent uh, uh, of, of conspiracy theory because obviously not... You know, uh, it's not like when he was writing the Fifty Greatest Conspiracies in 1986 or whenever that was, that he was thinking, "Oh, eventually a bunch of right-wing nut jobs are going to take this and flip it and, right, <laughs> right. and 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 attack the Capitol building." Like that wasn't in his mind. Uh, it's it's the you know the 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 uh, uh, strange science of unintended consequences. Um, but uh, that I, I and I've heard I've heard that. Same sentiment from other uh, conspiracy theories um, uh, communicated to me privately, uh, sometimes via email, yeah, sometimes face to face. Regretting uh, having given a platform to some of the, the more extreme, like right-wing uh, conspiracy theorists uh, in, in the past, and looking back on it, wondering if they if they made a bad move. <laughs> you know, <that's> something <laughs> right. that seemed. That seemed uh either harmless or that seemed like it was actually a kind of anti establishment punch in the face, uh kinda kinda boomerang back uh on them in some way. Um, uh and, and and that's interesting. So when I was writing in Cryptoscatology, the first book, uh there's a chapter in there uh, called uh, Jesus is a robot from outer space, uh with the title <laughs> of which comes uh... from the fact that um I, uh, me and my friend jack womack um, uh, who's a novelist, uh... who is a novelist who lives in new york my girlfriend at the time uh, who is now my wife? Uh, we, we Jack was visiting from, from New York, and he was here in uh, Southern California. Right. Uh, this would have been around about two thousand six, and we said to Jack, "You have to go visit the Crystal C- Cathedral." Uh, the Crystal Cathedral was this in Anaheim, you know, right near Disneyland. Was right. this giant Disneyland-like cathedral, um, which is which is not there anymore, uh, but if, it was like the ultimate in kitsch. Uh, Kitch Christian culture. It was like the Hearst Castle of cathedrals, <laughs> and 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 we took him there, and it was it was like a Jack T. Chick pamphlet given life in three dimensions. Wow. Um, and 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 there were all these. Uh, there was one particular statue that fascinated me. It was uh, the Virgin Mary, holding the baby Jesus in her hands, and the baby Jesus had been made out of. Like silver, like reflective mirror-like material, uh, so that the baby looked like the Silver Surfer from the Fantastic Four comic books. Like yeah. he had this like mirror, like in the the sun is like reflecting off the baby Jesus' <laughs> uh, metallic skin. And uh, I said, oh, I, I said to Jack, oh my God, Jesus is a robot from outer space because that's what it looked like. Yeah. like like half of half of the baby <laughs> jesus face was going to melt and there was going to be like cogs and gears underneath like the end of the terminator um uh and so the next day happened to me the first day of the semester and i was teaching uh english 100 and i usually which is like the basic english composition class and i had everyone go around and introduce themselves and someone mentioned that they were from anaheim and i said i was just in anaheim yesterday i went to the Christ cathedral <laughs> I started mentioning <laughs> everything I just told you. And then someone was offended by that uh, and wrote a letter to the president of the college and said, you have an instructor who's saying that Jesus is, was a robot from outer space, um, which which is an interesting way of taking something completely out of context. Because, um, uh, of course, I I wasn't intending to say that Jesus was the robot from outer space. I said the statue of Jesus Look like a robot from outer space. Very different statement, you see. Um, This is like this is like the Magritte painting. You know, this is not a pipe. It's like this is not a Jesus. This is a statue of Jesus. Um, uh, And so I had to like uh, kind of. Walk on eggshells for, for the rest of that semester because I didn't know w- what else I might a- accidentally say that was set <laughs> off this particular student. I didn't know who it was. That was like it was like anonymous. I just knew someone in one of my classes, you know. Uh, so uh, I wrote this uh, essay called "Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space," which was published in New Dawn magazine. Uh, uh, so it, what was funny was uh... the student writing the letter led to me writing the essay which led to that phrase being in magazines internet available internationally like an international readership was oh, now able no. to see the sentence Jesus as <laughs> a robot from outer space so it kind of backfired um, um, uh, but the whole essay was about that and, and another essay that was related called george w bush is not a christian um, and 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 the essay was published while george w bush was was still president, uh, and so these two essays were published back to back in New Dawn magazine. And the whole point of the George Bush "Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space" essay was that that George W. Bush, while well, you know claiming to be a Christian, had all these uh, decidedly non-Christian <laughs> you know uh, um, uh, uh, values that that were part and parcel of his entire administration. And so I made the point that. You know, the people who should be criticizing George W. Bush are the Christians, uh, because they're the ones with the authority to say something like that, whereas someone else who's an atheist or agnostic or, uh, or a Buddhist or whatever wouldn't have that same kind of moral authority to be able to point a finger and say, hey, this guy doesn't represent Christianity, you know? Uh, and, yeah. and so I, I made that point in the essay. So later on, like flash forward uh, to uh, 2020, uh just after the lockdown and I was aware of QAnon. Uh I knew people who were following following it on 4chan and stuff like that, but it wasn't compelling enough uh to me to like look into it um, in, 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 in a in a deep dive kind of a way. Right, right. Um when when I began to see just after the beginning of the lockdown how insidious uh QAnon was I thought to myself, you know what, I should take my own advice. You know, just like I was saying, you know, it was up to Christians to go out and criticize George W. Bush. It would be up to someone who actually understands and has an intimate knowledge of these conspiracy theories and knows where they come from to actually speak out and begin to analyze this and say, hey, I know where all this is coming from. (laughs) This is coming from a Q-clearance, you know, uh, intelligence insider. This is being cherry-picked from a panoply of different conspiracy theories, some of which go back to the late 1800s. Wow. Um, and, and I saw that a lot of like panic essays being published really right after the lockdown in The Washington Post, in The Atlantic, uh, in The New Yorker, where the whole tone of the piece was just... This mainstream reporter trying to wrap their head around this whole phenomenon and not being able to do it because they just didn't they just didn't know you know I mean they're perfectly capable of writing about other things but in this particular instance they just didn't know what this was couldn't recognize it and it was just sort of like a confused panicked essay and then Q would would post those would would post links to those essays and say you see you're the news now um and you see how they're getting it wrong and then that would fuel the whole conspiracy theory even more because the people who are following q would go oh you're right you know they're purposely lying they're getting all these aspects of the thing wrong they don't know what they're talking about and so it would just make it seem like what everything q was saying was even more accurate
2: right right uh
1: and interesting uh is that when i started Writing about QAnon actively, which was in Salon in August, I think of um, of 2020, is when a, I wrote a five-part essay um, that was in Salon from I think August to September, uh, serialized. And uh, uh, Q never linked to those. <laughs> I, just, I thought it was interesting. He linked to almost every other article about oh, QAnon that appeared. Uh, uh, the ones that got everything wrong, he would link to that and say, "See, they're getting it wrong." He ne- never once linked to, to to my articles on Salon, um, <laughs> and I think it's because it, it analyzed it too. It, it, it was it was it was it, it hit the nail on the head far too accurately.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is uh, yeah. You know, I am a uh, very interesting perspective so far, um, and I I'm curious in terms of I, I, I was looking at the the um what the the book Cryptoschatology and the line is it's it the full title is Conspiracy as Art Form. So after that name it's you supposedly um, delving into what the the aesthetic principles behind this are um, now in, in a lot of ways. Um, so that is intriguing to me because, and, and we're going to get back to QAnon, but uh, I, I definitely look at, I, I think that's why I appreciated Conspiracy so much and, and still do at least the well Ridden ones um because uh, i i mean I, I couldn't quite even come up with a word that the closest i've come up with on this show is uh early on and i used to call this podcast that is it's intellectual escapism that's what it is to me or well the question is is an intellectual escapism or escapist intellectualism um but, but but sort of my thought behind this was that uh these are topics that as you're reading a conspiracy theory, you get off on the <laughs> proverbially, you get you, you like this idea that these different disparate ideas fit together and then you get the proofs and then if you're watching one of the documentaries on YouTube you see the stuff on the dollar bills and it's 9-11 and, and it and it kind of takes you in the same way that people will watch Stranger Things on Netflix for a weekend that thrill that there's like a dopamine rush of like oh and what's coming next and to me I, I've i always just kind of enjoyed entertaining these things just because they were fun Obviously, up until the violence and the people dying and all the terrible stuff, I am not into where conspiracies have gone. But I I relate to um this this title from twenty twelve, uh this this conspiracy theory as art form. I I'd be curious uh what what is what did you mean by that?
1: Well, in the in the, the very first chapter of the book, um uh I I talk about. I divide conspiracy theories up into five main categories, and then there's like subcategories or categories that that combine several of them in one. Uh, but the, the, the five uh, that I identified immediately was uh, misinformation, disinformation, uh, satire, uh, legitimate research, and... Um, uh, what was the fifth one? <laughs> I, nah, nah, I'm, I'm losing my own categorization. Um, uh, it's, it's in chapter one, uh, but uh, and then I lay out examples of, of each of those, yeah. um, and, and and also then proceed to demonstrate them with the chapters that then follow. Uh, and yeah, then I was going it, to say it's up to the reader. <laughs> What's art and what's disinformation? (laughs) Yes, the book. It's a lot of people don't interpret. uh, They they don't go to the next level and and interpret the fact that the whole book is the art form. Uh, (laughs) That is
2: awesome. Uh, uh,
1: And so each of the succeeding chapters, the reader has to figure out: well, which one is disinformation, which is misinformation, which is satire, (laughs) which is legitimate research?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to label it for you. Yes, Uh, yes, yes. Now, do you think there's a usefulness to that exercise? Because um, to my roommate's point, I mean, what am I trying to do with this podcast? I I do think there is something to uh, what Robert Anton Wilson talked about with gorilla ontology. I love that idea. I've talked about it multiple times in the show, uh, getting people to expose themselves to new ideas that are completely different and hopefully opening up something in them that at least uh, gets them to perceive the world a different way. Um, but, but, but yeah, I, I, I suppose that might lead to your definition of perceptual psychology too. Um, but but maybe not. Yeah, what, what, do, what do you think is is the exercise in getting someone to go through that but never know for sure what's what?
1: Well, you know, uh, Robert Anderson Wilson used to do um, these interesting um, conferences—they were almost like encounter group slash role-playing games, where he would be the kind of dungeon master <laughs> standing on the stage, and he would—and there'd be a whole room full of people, and he would—you would each person in the room would take on a different identity, and I think they were given the identity. You couldn't choose it, and so one person was a man in black, one person was like a, a CIA agent, someone else worked for the Mossad, someone else is like you know a conspiracy researcher, and you had to play through this scenario in real time in the in the room, and sometimes you were given identity that said you were a CIA agent, but actually you know you really uh... double agent working for the soviet oh union <laughs> but you, have to keep the, you have to keep that away from everyone else no one else can know that and 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 um... i had a friend who actually took part in one of these back in nineteen ninety three it was at the the scottish Rite temple in um... in l.a and he said it was really um... kind of mind-bending by the time you got to the end of it and, and this, this particular one only lasted a few hours but Robert Anton Wilson said sometimes he would conduct these things that would go on over like a weekend, <laughs> and he said that the participants would tell him <clears throat> that once they got out of it, um, they would start seeing you know kabbalistic symbols embedded in license plate numbers. <laughs> um, you know their entire worldview would be altered. Now you could see, and in some ways you could see how conspiracy theory, just looking into it, would do that entirely on its own without even going to those extremes. Um, but it's almost, it almost reminds me of uh, what I heard Terence McKenna once say. Uh, Terence McKenna, who wrote the Archaic Revival, um, and he was kind of a major psychonaut, yeah. you know, proponent of stone using date. psychedelic. Yes, the Stone Date theory. Yes, uh, McKenna said that uh, he that there were there were those people who needed to dissolve boundaries and those people who needed to maintain boundaries and that most people need to dissolve boundaries they would benefit psychologically from doing that but there are those people people who for example maybe are bipolar or schizophrenic uh, uh who they don't need to dissolve boundaries they need to maintain boundaries so he would not recommend psychedelics for those people <laughs> right <laughs> right so, so uh it's oh, it's and it's, it also reminds me of something. I once interviewed Stephen Heller, Dr. Stephen Heller, who's the Bishop of the Gnostic Church in Los Angeles. Um, I, I, I did a very extensive interview uh, with him, very learned man. Um, he, he, he lived in a, an apartment in the shadow of the Hollywood sign. Uh, and I sat with him for many hours. And the interview appeared in, in Paranoia Magazine. Uh, and we were talking about uh Alistair Crowley and Israel Regardie and wow. uh Israel Regardie said that uh he did not recommend that there was a certain type of person who shouldn't dabble in ceremonial magic. Uh and that he Israel Regardie recommended that you have some background in psychology before you try to dabble in ceremonial magic because you, you go down what Robert Anton Wilson called uh, the Chapel Perilous. Uh, you go into the the labyrinth of mirrors. <laughs> at a certain point, <laughs> and and if you don't have a, a background in some way in psychology, you can get lost in this maze of mirrors, right? What what when I when Heller and I were discussing that in the interview, Heller said uh, the the funny thing, the ironic thing, is that he's he's found in his experience. That the people who are most drawn to it are exactly those people—the <laughs> people who need to maintain boundaries, uh, the people who who do, and don't have a background in psychology—are uh, the ones who are most drawn to it, like a duck to water. Uh, Heller said, "They go right to it, moth oh, no. to the flame." Uh, and and when I analyzing the whole QAnon mythos, uh, I. I, I Found myself reflecting back on what Heller had said about ceremonial magic and about what McKenna had said about psychedelic drugs, and and apply that to conspiracy theory and seeing the result, the real world results of it on January 6, and thinking, okay, this is exactly the the type of people who should not be going to,
2: <laughs> to, yes. down this road. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it reminds me of the kid in class that, um, you know, their parents, I was a kid that, you know, my uncle, for instance, would like show me George Carlin and, and uh, Saturday Night Live and I could go over and like, you know, see all the sketches and, and I could go to my classmates and maybe the kids that I could, some some of the kids, you know, you could tell what happened, but I knew not to bring it up. And then there were some kids that like once they they, if they had an older sibling that taught them swear words, they would just be so they looked at it as just like a rite of passage that they now they're entitled to go about and be offensive because they've been exposed to this content that is inappropriate and now leads them to do it. And it's like, ah, you just there's certain people that just have a more of a more more tact when it comes to these things, Um, yeah.
1: Well, you know, extending the the drug analogy even further, uh, comparing psychedelic drugs and the use of it to to delving into conspiracy theories, it almost reminds me, uh, and this this thought struck me as I was looking into the QAnon stuff, is it struck me that back in high school, um, you know, you'd be bombarded with anti-drug ads Yes. Uh, Just say no to drugs. You know, this is your brain. The D.A.R.E.
2: program, everything. All
1: all that stuff. And even at that time, when I was, like, 16, I didn't have any – I hadn't, like, studied Marshall McLuhan, and I hadn't studied, you know, behaviorism or or anything like this. It struck me at the time, I thought, are the people making these ads, do they want us to take drugs? Like, that was my thought at the time. It seems like the – the inevitable effect of these ads is to encourage kids to take drugs you know it's like they you know telling a 5 year old don't grab a cookie from that cookie jar i'm leaving the room now and you better right. not do it you know and of course that's the first thing they're going to do uh and also i had friends who you know you'd see these ads and they would say if you smoke marijuana you're going to go crazy and you're going to like yes. jump off a roof and think you can fly And and so then my I had friends who then of course smoked marijuana and that and that would be they would say wait a minute it didn't do that they must be lying about all the other stuff too (laughs) so pretty soon you're you're shooting up crystal meth you know Uh, and so I I almost see the analogy with with QAnon in the sense that there are in fact actual genuine. Government conspiracies that have occurred and and are probably occurring right now as we speak. Every day there are people who are convicted of conspiracy charges in the U.S. courts. So, it, it, but and yet the attitude of the mainstream media going back decades is conspiracy theory. That's ridiculous. That never happens. Um, and that you're a lunatic if you think that that's even possible. Meanwhile, you know we we have MK Ultra, which is a genuine actual. Uh, program initiated for decades by the Central Intelligence Agency, in which they experimented uh, unconstitutionally on prisoners, women and mental uh, institutes, uh, uh, children uh, were experimented on, um, uh, given LSD, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, ironically, uh, it's okay when we give it to you. Um, Right. uh, and, and this went on from you know, the, the 40s, post-World War II, all the way through into the 70s, officially, uh, before the head of the CIA, uh, Richard Helms, said, let's burn all the documents. Um, and I think to this day, we still don't know the full extent of the damage that was caused by MKUltra, because all, most of the documents were destroyed, and yet... Every year, we get more uh, documents that kind of creep out of the uh, the woodwork, and we learn more about what actually happened. Um, but that's something that actually occurred, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so then the reaction is, wait a minute, they lied about that, or whatever it is, they lied about JFK assassination, or what? So maybe they're lying about this too. Maybe there really are Illuminati Democrats who are stealing children off the street draining adrenochrome from their pineal glands and drinking it in order to become immortal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, no, no, that's, that's absolutely a, a great point. I mean, uh, I'm totally with you there. I wonder what is the, I don't know if you have a solution for this, but I mean, uh, it does seem to be dismissive. I, I've said it to be one of the things I've also said on this show. Like, if we're gonna talk PizzaGate, let's actually examine it. Let's go in. What? 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 Why are we not actually to just dismiss things as conspiracy theories? Absolutely fuels the fire. Um, I'm curious. I mean, do you, do you do you agree with that opinion? Like, if somebody were to say to you, "Okay, well." We have a large group of people here that believe this conspiracy about children and adrenochrome and stuff, Um, so somebody should be tasked with actively looking into it. I mean, I'm not even sure people would end up believing that it was a pure test, like they'd always think there was some agenda going in, but uh, how, how could we really handle these popular theories
1: you know, I, I I think it'd be worthwhile if, um, you know, new, newspapers actually had the conspiracy beat reporter. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it would it, it would require that much attention. You'd have to do it like twenty four seven. So just like you have the the the, the, the guy whose beat is you know white collar crime, uh, you'd have to have the guy whose beat was conspiracy theory, um, and that would actually be a very worthwhile. Uh, and in the wake of January 6th, I'm kind of amazed at that. No one's done that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Snopes is uh, compromised now, right? Like, Snopes.com used to be the place that cleared urban rumors. Sorry, disinfo. It's right. it's compromised. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, even HBO. HBO, they, they debunked QAnon, but I've been told, no, don't trust HBO. They've got people. They're connected to the lobbyists. You can't even trust that documentary. It knows nothing. I mean, There is nothing, even factcheck.org. Sorry, agenda, liberal agenda. So how can we do it? I mean, I think we're still Operation Mindfucked. I think we're fucked. Um, I I don't know. Well, it's
1: interesting because, of course, the the title of the book, Operation Mindfucked, does come from uh, Robert Anton Wilson and the Discordian Society, who who came up with that term. And uh, and the reason I use it as the title— from this book is because I recognized early on that the Operation Mindfuck that Robert Anton Wilson and his friends initiated back in the 60s when Robert Anton Wilson was the um, he was an editor at, at Playboy magazine uh, and so he was uh, the editor of the letters page he, so he could put in any letter he wanted so he would have his friends write letters and, and I think he, probably he wrote some of the letters himself they, they, they recognize the fact that the John Birch Society and extreme white-wingers like that were flooding um, in, in, in the pre-internet era where you had to actually use pamphlets and, and flyers stapled to telephone poles and um, uh, <laughs> vinyl records uh, um, uh, to, to promulgate these conspiracy theories where um, really um, far right wingers like Anthony Hilder and people like that were spreading the theory or uh, resurrecting the old Illuminati theories from the late 1800s uh, accusing uh, various liberal politicians of being communists and socialist but also secretly members of the Illuminati or, or Freemasons uh, and so Robert Anton Wilson and his friends Think okay, we're going to flip that, and we're going to do Operation Mindfuck, and we're going to start accusing like, Henry Kissinger of being a member of the Illuminati, <laughs> uh, and and we're going to accuse you know the Martians of being. Oh, we're going to accuse everyone. They they start accusing themselves. <laughs> Letters in Robert Anton Wilson is a member of the Illuminati. You know, uh, we have inside information of this. So it was and and the way Wilson described it, and I think Cosmic Trigger is he said. Um, And a lot of in the in the the late '60s, when they started doing this, there was a lot of like far left uh, radicals who just, just like what Stephen Heller said about like like you know like a moth to the flame, uh, like a duck to water. uh, A a lot of uh, far far left uh, activists uh, just took to this and said, "Yes, you know Henry Kissinger, I can see that he might be a member of the Illuminati." And so this it was intended to be the opposite. Of the of the right wing operation mindfuck, uh, so so they they purposely flipped the script. And Robert Anton Wilson said he said if you know if members of the of the far left wanted to live in this paranoid uh, reality tunnel, that was entirely their choice. But he said his hope was that after having been exposed to this embarrassment of riches, of all these varying conflicting conspiracy theories, uh, that uh, at some point uh, a certain um, illuminated individuals would reach a point of like elevated higher consciousness and realize oh wait a minute you know all of these could be true or maybe none of them and 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 instead realize well, we can create our own reality you know we, yes. we don't have to depend on these people's conspiracy theories we can create our own narrative and our own reality and a more hopeful one like why why dwell on this in this like dystopian uh... paranoid uh, view of 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 of, re- of reality where uh, you're constantly seeing yourself as a victim being imposed upon by higher authorities, why not create your own conspiracy theory where, where you're the one who's in charge? <laughs> yes, are, Robert, are you that
2: hopeful? Uh,
1: yes, yes, even at this stage, I, I am. That's the uh, I, nice. I, I do think that, that reality is a painting that you can, you can control, you can make your own brushstrokes. Uh, and I think that studying conspiracy theories uh, e- eventually leads you down that path unless you're absolutely dedicated to living in that more pessimistic, dystopian future.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, what uh, do you think and, of – do you, do you listen to like tinfoil hat, Sam Tripoli's podcast and all of her, you know that uh, one? I, I
1: don't. I don't think I've ever heard it,
2: okay, um well, he's a good example, and even I sometimes feel this way with coast to coast and and uh people in the scene uh, they there seems to be kind of a uh it, it, it's like a there's like a state shifting back and forth between one love consciousness, this what you said, this hopeful vision of being able to create your destiny, but also uh. Paying a lot of attention sometimes to the agenda, the elites, the new world order, and and there there's kind of this constant tug and back and forth, and and even the people that I I've asked uh, so-called spiritual leaders, healers, why why you have to go through the conspiracy theory path, and they said, well, you have to. It's it's what shatters the matrix. It's what's going to get you. It's what often gets you open to the idea that you control everything. I guess my question for you is: Do you do you always believe it? Can you make the jump without having these mainstream structures completely shatter before your eyes? That's question one for you. And question two is: Do you think uh, even once you are conscious of creating your reality, um, is it you know d- does going back to examining these theories kind of make that fire dwindle a little bit
1: um well uh you know it's it's uh there's a great quote from robert Anton wilson that actually i actually happen to have it have it right here uh this is from an interview there's a documentary called maybe logic that's a documentary that uh, this, right. this, this info put out uh, about robert Anton his wilson right? there's one part what was that
2: was it? it's about his life right Kind of yes. like an overview. Yeah, like an
1: overview of his entire career. And there's one point uh, uh, when he says, when you define the power elite as somebody else, I regard that as a loser script. I define the power elite as myself and my friends, and that's a winner script. The way to accomplish things is with a winner script. I define myself as a winner. I define my program as winnable. I count on the stupidity of whoever seems to be in power to undo them eventually because, as I've said, every conspiracy has a natural lifespan. Every conspiracy collapses by double crosses from within or by superior cleverness by rival conspiracies. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I'm all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes while there's still a lot of it around, we should pay tribute to it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so I think Operation Mindfuck is me paying tribute to <laughs> cuz you have you have to at one hand yes. um, uh s- stop uh step out of yourself for a moment and marvel at the kind of a genius uh of the architects of the QAnon mythos, and I use that phrase purposely, uh, referencing Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, yes, the Lovecraft mythos, you know, Cthulhu mythos. I, I do see a connection between Lovecraft and QAnon.
2: <laughs> now, do, do um, you get into really the nitty gritty in the? Well, I, I do want to get actually. Let's get to the Lovecraft thing first. Yeah, lo, what, what's the connection?
1: Well, uh, we, you know how we were right before we, uh, we began recording this conversation. Uh, I, you mentioned that my work kind of like seems to uh, deal with disparate subjects, and you mentioned right. I've I've written two books about Bell Lugosi, one called Bela Lugosi and the Monogram Nine, which is nonfiction, uh, a sort of a cinema book that I wrote with my friend Gary Gary Rhodes who's a cinema scholar. And, and I recently, last year, published a novel called Bell Lugosi's Dead, which is kind of a dark fantasy set in uh, 1980s Los Angeles. Uh, and the main character is this guy who, who's publishing a zine, a, a cinema zine, um, ab- about horror movies and psychotronic uh, films, you know, science fiction of the 1950s, and etc. And, and he's really obsessed with i Lugosi. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in obsession, you know whether in if I'm writing fiction or nonfiction, I'm really interested in people who are obsessed with particular things, you know, and, Yo. they, and they go down the rabbit hole uh, with it, and either they go through the rabbit hole and out the other side to a better place, or they go through the rabbit hole and down, and they don't come out of it again. Uh, and so, uh, Bella Gosi's Dead kind of examines that, and also uh, Manly P. Hall. Uh, right. Cited by Robert Anton Wilson in many, in many books. So Manly P Hall uh, is a character in uh, Bela Lugosi's Dead*. He was, he was best friends with, with Bell Lugosi, Manly P Hall. Um, uh, yeah. That's why he's a character in the book. But, but so at first it might seem like these are all disparate subjects. Uh, but actually, I've written horror fiction. I've written dark fantasy. I've written science fiction, and I've also written nonfiction. And I've written nonfiction about cinema, and I've written nonfiction about about conspiracies. Um, And uh, those things, they seem to be disparate, but um, I realized, like right before we started recording, that there actually is a connection amongst these things, because QAnon really is a modern-day horror story. It's a horror story that purports to be true, which is the best kind of horror story, right? Like you're sitting around the campfire, and the old guy with the hook you know, hook with a hand story, right? All yes. that, all that kind of urban legend, creepy pasta. Uh, you can see QAnon is growing out of like creepy pastas, right, on the internet. Um, they there they're QAnon is a penny penny dreadful, like from the late eighteen hundreds. Uh, they used to publish little cheap uh, pulp paperbacks about Sweeney Todd or Jack the Ripper. You know, sensationalizing something that doesn't need to be sensationalized, right? Yeah, <laughs> like Jack the Ripper. You know, okay, we're gonna great we're going to write like a horror, horrible, uh, lurid, you know, melodramatic version of Jack the Ripper. And they, and they were called Penny Dreadfuls because they, they cost one penny. Uh, and they were these entertaining horror stories. And, and, and QAnon does the same thing. It sensationalizes things that need not be sensationalized. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein becomes a major character in the QAnon narrative, and and, and Jeffrey Epstein You know, they try to link Epstein with the Illuminati, with the Freemasons, with every Democrat who ever existed, uh, ignoring the fact that Donald Trump is in Epstein's little black book. (laughs) They just ignore that completely. Yeah. Uh, Focus entirely on Bill Clinton and Hillary being in the book. Right. Uh, And and we've heard the they miss so much. You're so right. right. (laughs) we've heard uh, Epstein's victims uh, um, a lot of them uh, have been interviewed we've heard what they've said we've heard what Epstein did and if you listen to it uh, it's very clear it's very like casebook narcissistic predator kind of behavior at no point did any of Epstein's victims say, oh, yes, and then he put on a black cowl and he let us down into the subterranean grotto uh, where we <laughs> sacrificed babies. Like, at no point has any of Epstein's victims said that. And I'm sure yeah. if that happened, they probably would have mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like QAnon sensationalizes something that need not be sensationalized uh, and then tries to link that uh, with, with all these other um, unrelated uh, topics uh, in a kind of like conspiracy theory kind of kind of way, which is which is why basically they took what Robert Anton Wilson did, who flipped the right wing Illuminati narrative and flipped it and turned it back on and accused Henry Kissinger of being an Illuminati, uh, and they they went and flipped that again, uh, and and I think very intentionally uh you know uh, the the architects the culture vultures who were hired uh to construct the QAnon mythos i think were very very knowledgeable about all of these things uh yeah. that i know at the time a lot i had friends who uh who thought that it was a russian disinformation campaign QAnon, that 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 it came from from russia uh and and not just i mean i i have friends who actually have lived uh, in Russia for many years, and they're very familiar uh, with how Russia operates. And they, they, they thought that this was the likely answer as to where QAnon had come from. But I, I thought that all these little telltale details and pop culture references that are sprinkled throughout the mythos seemed to me to indicate that it was coming from a source far closer to home. Yeah. Uh, so when I mentioned Lovecraft... For example, where, where you get the elements of um, uh, children being abducted, uh, taken underground, fed to subterranean demons, <laughs> right. uh, uh, you know, uh, right. ancient beasts, like and, and this is all like literal stuff that the QAnon people very much believe that the, you know that the, the children are being abducted by the Illuminati, taken underground. The Adrenochrome, <laughs> which comes from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. By Hunter S. Thompson, the adrenochrome being pumped out of their pineal glands, and then they're and then they're using that to either you know then they feed the kids to the demons, and then they're using the adrenochrome to to stay eternally young, you know, um, um, because Tom Hanks doesn't look a day over twenty,
2: right? Um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, that's it, interesting. It, <laughs> that's a great point. And
1: and that also uh, hies back to there, there's a lot of like science fiction um uh horror roots uh, to, to the to the anon mythos and and back in the 40s there was a guy named Richard Shaver who became famous uh among science fiction fans for a, a long series of stories he published in Amazing Stories um, uh, that the editor uh Ray Palmer uh claimed were based on truth and uh, the stories Involved uh, these ancient sadistic demons named Deros D E R O S, uh, which stood for Detrimental Robots. Um, these Daros would abduct women and and children and then drag them underground and sexually molest them in in a, in a variety of imaginative ways. Um, there, there's there's this great illustration from one of the the Shaver magazines where there's a, a naked woman strapped to a um like a wheel, and then there's like a demon pitching darts into her. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, and, and so, QAnon like dusted off this old like Richard Shaver yarn and rebranded it for Trump supporters. Um, uh, some of whom are are rabid Christians and Christian nationalists, and some of whom are are not. And I think that's what's fascinating about the QAnon narrative. It's 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 been specifically designed to appeal to people beyond just Christians. Uh, you know, George W. Bush. Um, He he decided, okay, I'm going to target evangelicals and and Christians. That's going to be our our base. Somebody must have decided, you know, why restrict ourselves to just them? So the QAnon mythos, it appeals to conspiracy theorists, uh, fans of the paranormal, um, accelerationists are into QAnon. I know former Democrats who went down the QAnon rabbit hole. Um, There are plenty of people... uh, in the United States who believe in the existence of, of demons who, who aren't Christians. And and you can be an atheist and think that um, nefarious members of the Illuminati are like kidnapping young waves and sacrificing them to non-existent demons, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so QAnon is this buffet of, uh, of of fringe beliefs from which you can pick and choose. And uh, I think that's that's one of the things I sit back and I marvel at it, and you have to kind of, you know, uh, kudos.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, do you think it's, is it a great piece of art?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it is art. Uh, I don't know if it's a great piece of art. I think it is a great piece of propaganda. Uh, <laughs> Fair cause enough. We, yeah. Because we, we then have to examine, you know, what is art and what is propaganda? And, and there are those cases where they, 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 uh, conjoin, you know, uh, if, uh, Guernica, you know, the, the great
0: uh, uh, yeah, uh, Guernica
1: by, by Picasso is a case where it's, it's, it's propaganda but it's also art so you don't need to know anything about the sp- Spanish-American War in order to appreciate it so on one level it works as, as purely visual impact and on the, other le- uh, on the other level it is propaganda but it's art first and propaganda second whereas I would say QAnon it's propaganda first and art second
2: Yes, yes,
1: yes. (laughs) Art is not its main imperative. Uh, uh, It's a swaying – its main intent is to um, sway one's opinion. Um, And I thought that was one of the things that immediately drew me to it as well because what happened was right after the lockdown, I was talking to a friend of mine who is about 10 years older than me and lives in the Midwest. And I hadn't, I hadn't talked to him in a while, and we were talking about the lockdown, and and um, I was talking about how difficult it was teaching via Zoom for the first time, which I'd never done before, uh, and he starts talking to me about how COVID uh, was actually going to be a positive development in 2020, and I'm like, w- what what are you talking about? And then he, so he starts telling me uh, about that Trump. Is going to give us like free energy when he's reelected, and he's going to abolish the income tax. And um, right. uh, there's going to the military troops are even now as we speak cleaning out like these covert military tunnels and saving the, the children who've been kidnapped by the by the quote black hats, unquote. Uh, and and I'm sitting there listening to this, going, "What? I go, where are you getting this from? You know." And and uh, he says, eventually he. At first he says, Well, like you know, it's like the dark web, I can't I can't tell you and then eventually I, I convince him to send me some links. So he sends me these links to these QAnon posts and videos and 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 I when I started watching it I had had established no opinion about it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I just I just started watching it to see what is this that he's talking about, why is this captivated him so much. But immediately I detect, you know, something that would not be obvious to anyone who hadn't been intimately familiar with conspiracy theories for the past three decades, and that, that most of the elements uh, of the narrative had clearly been pilfered from these, from these previous sources. Um, and, I, and the most fascinating pattern that I notice, uh, is that they, and by they I mean the architects, of, of the mythos, they would take a conspiracy theory, the original content of which was anti-fascist at its core, and then they would flip it so that now it was pro-fascist, pro-conservative, pro-martial law, and then ultimately <laughs> pro-Trump. Uh, and, th- and then that was the thing that I, I, my, my, my friend who I was talking to was familiar with conspiracy theories. Uh, so he had some familiarity with it and, and I thought, why isn't it obvious (laughs) if, if some conspiracy theory had been floating around in, in 1990 and the, the theory always ended with the punchline, vote for Bush, you would think that, you know, most people would go, oh, I get it. It's just this, (laughs) it's just this propaganda for Bush, right? But for some reason, for some reason. The, the, they 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 couldn't make that leap, even though the punchline to every single QAnon post was "vote for Trump." But they Sheesh. would do it in such a way where it would make it seem as if you were coming to that conclusion. They weren't, you know, Uncle Sam's pointing his finger at you and telling you "vote for Trump." All the QAnon posts were questions. Almost all of them were questions, uh, never statements. But the people consuming them would would. Consider them that would take them as, as statements, and and since you had to answer the question yourself, it was as if you had come to the conclusion yourself. Y- y- so you didn't feel like a dupe who had just fallen for uh, obvious propaganda. It was presented in such a way where it's a series of questions you answer the questions, and then as a result you come to the conclusion I have to vote for Trump, uh, and uh, that that kind of. Um, propaganda methodology uh, methodology is laid out, ironically, in a paper that became uh, notorious in conspiratorial circles in the 1980s because it was published in a book called Behold a Pale Horse uh, by by the infamous William Cooper. Uh, Most people would have come across this paper I'm about to mention in that book. Uh, There was an essay, an article written by Michael Aquino, Colonel Michael Aquino, called Mind War, uh, it was written by michael aquino and a guy named paul vali uh... michael aquino with his his specialty was was propaganda psychological warfare so post vietnam paul vali who was his superior said uh... mike uh... here's your assignment i want you to write an article about where do we go where do where do psychological warfare operations go post vietnam like how can we what, what what how do we have to change the way we're doing things uh... in the early eighties and so Aquino writes this paper mind war and in mind war he talks about how in the satellite environment in this new electronic age where computers are just starting uh... he says you need to form a kind of rapport with your audience uh... so that it doesn't seem as if you're telling them what to think You have to create a rapport where the people consuming the propaganda believe they've come to the conclusion entirely on their own. Um, And now, now this is this is the ironic thing. Uh, Right after the lockdown, there's a documentary called Out of Shadows, which swept through across the internet. Uh, And Out of Shadows is a blatant, not so blatant, but it's a QAnon recruitment video. They never mention QAnon. (laughs) <laughs> but that, if you watch the whole thing, you can come to other, no other conclusion that that QAnon is correct, and we got to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, and they start out with some pretty valid – it starts out presenting itself as – this is a documentary about the connections between Hollywood and the U.S. military and intelligence agencies, so Hollywood being used as like a propaganda machine. Right. Now, that's a totally valid thing to explore. In fact, I, I'm, I'm writing a book now called Hollywood Haunts the World. Which, and there's a whole chapter in there that's about that very subject. It's about how, how Hollywood has been used, uh, going at least as far back as World War II, uh, to, to promote uh, propaganda disguised as fiction. Uh, and so the documentary starts out with this very valid uh, starting point. And then within about eight minutes, veers off completely into the Twilight Zone. And, and they start talking about Michael Aquino. And they 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 don't and and they start talking about how Aquino was a Satanist, which is true, or rather, uh, he was he was part of the Temple of Set, so technically he was a Setian as opposed to a Satanist. But he had once been a member of the Church of Satan, and then Anton LaVey was 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 not satanic enough for him. So Aquino was like, I'm starting my own thing,
0: uh, <laughs> right. Temple
1: of Set. Uh, and, uh, and so Aquino had this very uh, eccentric look about him, the severe widow's peak and uh, pasty face. He, he kind of looked like Eddie Munster grown up uh, in a military uniform. Uh, <laughs> and he, he appeared on Oprah Winfrey in the, in the midst of the satanic panic of the 80s with his wife, Lilith. Um uh and uh he had been accused of supposedly running this uh child molestation ring in the Presidio, uh for which he was found to be innocent in the court of law. Uh and and so uh they they start going into Aquino, which is weird because the the documentary begins talking about Hollywood as a propaganda tool, but then they start talking about Aquino and Aquino doesn't really have any connections to Hollywood except for, you know, being on this one episode of Oprah. Uh, So it's kind of like a weird transition. So then they start talking, so then they use that to then segue into, you know, satanic imagery in in Katy Perry videos and Lady Gaga. And uh, Hollywood is trying to brainwash you with Satanism. At one point they show the cover page of Michael Aquino's essay, Mind War. And it says Mind War by Paul Valale and Michael Aquino. They never mention Paul Valle, because Paul Valle is the one actual military figure who came out in support of Q. Oh, (laughs) gosh. (laughs) So in in the midst of all this, in in 2020, Paul Valle goes on a Canadian radio show and says that Q is a real person, and he's working with this secret group of 800 uh, former intelligence officers or current intelligence officers. Donald Trump doesn't trust the CIA or the FBI or uh and so he's 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 trusting this kind of covert group of of uh intelligence officers and Q is either one of these guys or connected to them and and basically after by the time you hear the entire interview you can only conclude oh Q th- this uh, you know Q is a real person uh, all the information that Q's been posting is correct and so it's fascinating to me that Paul Valley The one military figure, very highly respected, high-ranking military figure, intelligence officer, the one guy who comes forward and says that Q is real is the one guy who co-authored the Mind War paper (laughs) (laughs) with Michael Aquino, who's demonized in the Out of Shadows documentary. So is this like a case of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing, or is this a case of people um, Uh, 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 being duped and not, not analyzing what's going on deeply enough?
2: yeah, wow this is there is so much here. um tell me this I, I I just have to know I mean do you do you have any idea? do you even care who is behind this at all? Do you examine that, uh,
1: that I, I examine it uh briefly i um i because of course that is the main thrust of the HBO documentary, you know who is Q? Uh, and I, at one point in the book, I say how I, th- this seems almost an ancillary question to me, because uh, I'm more fascinated in why was it successful.
2: Yes. Uh, because yes. it's
1: almost beside the point at this, at this point. You That's know, what I'm exactly. feeling. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, I, and I, I would say that, um, uh, particularly with the,
0: um,
1: the the HBO documentary, it's interesting how – you know, mainstream media always simplifies everything. So when that documentary came out, I watched it. I've watched it twice. Um, the the headline was sort of like uh, QAnon is just this one guy. You know, it's Ron Watkins, like some 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 guy who's like living in a, you know, his in the Philippines somewhere. And it, and it, it, they don't analyze any deeper than that. It, it's almost like you know, go back to sleep. Don't worry about it. It's just it's just this one or two guys doing it. It's very clear that. Whether it's Jim Watkins and Ron Watkins, it's obviously more than one person. It's, you, you know, I mean, I, I teach literature. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm used to studying writing styles. It's, it's yeah. clearly more than one person posting these things. Uh, so it was more than one person, and and whoever was doing it was doing it with full knowledge of Trump, because Trump would often uh, sync up his tweets with what Q had just posted. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why people consuming the Q posts were so convinced it was true. <laughs> you know, because Q would post something, and then Trump would echo the language of what had just been posted, like twelve seconds earlier. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's it's clear that the Trump, the people around Trump, you know, hired these people to create the narrative, and and the Q, by the way, pops up October twenty seventeen. When Trump was at his lowest approval ratings, and then Q begins posting, and then and then Trump's approval ratings begin to rise with the popularity of Q. Uh, and uh, something that I, what I just mentioned earlier about taking previous like anti-fascist conspiracy theories and flipping it, uh, you had in the early 90s. I immediately recognized that a lot of this the stuff going on in the QAnon mythology was coming from a book called Operation Vampire Killer 2000. What a title. Um, <laughs> Operation Vampire Killer 2000 was a saddle-stitched pamphlet that was published in the early 90s by a group called Police Against the New World Order. I ordered a copy when it came out. Like <laughs> in 1993. I I I ordered it directly from the Police Against the New World Order uh... and um... i still have that same copy uh... it and it was the head of the organization was a guy named jack mcclam who and it was an organization of ex-law enforcement officers and uh... this book what these guys were libertarians but they were they were not um pro republican uh, Um far far from it uh, one of the main purposes of, of this Operation vampire killer 2000 pamphlet is it, it, to warn people about uh, factions and the government using um, a fake crisis to declare martial law and these guys were they were libertarians who were opposed to militarizing the police they were opposed to fascism and they were opposed to the Republican Party uh, and and so this fascinated me uh, one of the reasons I, I ordered it because I thought, at this time early 90s you know i'd grown up under the uh mushroom cloud shaped shadow of ronald reagan uh you know for 8 years and then bush for 4 and so at that time uh in my late teens uh, it looked like it was just going to be like an ongoing dynasty of like, republicans in in the white house like it would never end yeah uh and then so out of the blue i i come across this weird pamphlet and i thought oh this is interesting these are these guys are they're 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 conservative, they're libertarians, but they hate George Bush and they're they're against the militarization of the police. And I thought it's almost like there's a window of opportunity here, like a bridge could be formed by certain factions, but by but it, amongst these libertarians and sort of more uh, and progressives, you know, there, there was some shared um, goals, you know, uh, and that that's one of the things that fascinated me about it. But then within a few years, uh, these libertarians kind of morphed into the militia movement of the mid to late 90s. And so for decades, these people uh, have been crazy concerned about uh, imminent uh, martial law, um, secret concentration camps being built for true Christian patriots. You know. uh, and then in October 2017, when, uh, when Q starts posting on, on 4chan, uh, the posts and the photographs that Q is is posting seem to indicate that that this person, whoever it is, has access to to the White House. And so, uh, within within weeks, the same group of people who had been so concerned about secret concentration camps um, suddenly just spun around 180 degrees and decided that no, uh, martial <laughs> law is actually a good thing. Uh, Why? Because Q told them uh, it's the damn liberals that'll be put into the concentration camps, not the right-wing Christians. Oh, well, now it's okay. Um, And I thought, you know, to convince thousands of people to reverse— these these deeply held convictions in the matter of weeks because of anonymous posts on 4chan. I thought that's absolutely incredible. I mean, <laughs> what an incredible sociological experiment that is. And, and and I'm sure you know they do look at it as 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 a, a behavioral and sociological experiment.
2: Yeah, I mean, so 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 you are saying that early on. That picture, I mean, I know that was one of the early things, that they, they got a picture right next to Trump. It's somebody on the inside. Uh JFK Jr., which I'm curious about the, the, the history of why that's a thing, but, um, you know, it, it's someone right next to them. That stuff, to you, is legitimate. It is someone within the Trump camp that is out there starting this up.
1: Uh, you, well, by by legitimate, I I assume you mean that it actually is someone in the White House. Yes, That's yes. what you mean by legitimate. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those early posts were were actually, um, by someone connected to Trump. Well, I, I mean, I would say that mo- most of them were, <laughs> you know, in the sense yeah. that that I, I think the entire QAnon mythology was. Was constructed specifically to be Trump's uh, Plan B or Plan Z. You know, if it doesn't look like we're going to win the election, we're going to activate Plan Q, uh, right. and and then and that leads to to January sixth, uh, which you know I, I think a lot of people don't know how close we came to having. Um, uh, we're talking like November. Twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three level chaos <laughs> yeah. in the Capitol building. I mean, I mean, I think most people think, well, it's just these uh, rednecks that that you know rushed into the hallway, took a took a whiz in the hallway, you know, stole Nancy Pelosi's podium, um, uh, t- 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 took a dump in the atrium, and then and then left. Uh, yes, uh, a lot of the people who are there um, were dupes. And uh, you know, went there not intending to commit any violence whatsoever, uh, but those QAnon people were kind of the cover. Uh, without Q, January 6th doesn't happen. Uh, I, I would say the QAnon architects are like the equivalent of, of the Reich Ministry of, of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, which was run by Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> so, uh, then, right. And then the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, they're, they're kind of like the Brown Shirts and the SS, uh, respectively. Um, uh, there's, there's a guy named uh, James uh, Scaminacci who was um, interviewed by a guy named Steve Snyder who does a podcast called The Farm. And this guy, James uh, um, uh said – and he has military intelligence background uh, – he said the MAGA crowd is just a cover for the real attack. Um, and uh, I, I think I would I would completely agree with that. And I don't have any military intelligence background. I'm just sitting there looking at it at the TV, <laughs> and I can see that that's that's exactly how this is. That's exactly how this was going down. The, the the MAGA crowd was being used as a cover for the real attack. So you have photographs of those zip tie guys uh, who got who uh, were wearing camo fatigues. They got cameras mounted on their chests. Uh, the, these guys were going in um, specifically with a specific purpose: trust up Pelosi, Schumer, Pence, um, hold them hostage on camera until the results of the election are reversed. Maybe just start executing people, you know, live streaming it. Yeah. Uh, which is which is like a real Al Qaeda move. So it's funny that these. <laughs> these uh, these these uh, Christian patriots <laughs> are willing to use the same uh, techniques, uh, and and, and uh, the Capitol buildings a real labyrinth. It's a maze, and yet they knew how to get right to it. And so, and we know that there were tours given a couple of days before by some of the QAnon uh, Congress men and Congress people, uh, and uh, clearly this was planned out uh, beforehand. It was not just some right. sort of spontaneous.
2: Yeah, event. you wonder how fact, do they get in? There's no, it makes no sense. It makes no sense was, that they they that I mean, why why wasn't defense up? I thought this is Washington; shouldn't they be able to block them from coming in the building?
1: Well, well, right, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I mean, people have made you know commentary about uh, the difference between this and the reactions to the to the George Floyd protests uh, in in the summer of 2020 um, in D.C. Uh, the Salon uh, published an article called "January 6 Organizers Say They Held Dozens of Planning Meetings with White House Republicans." Um oh, by uh, Igor uh... And there's there's an interesting uh, section here that says um, uh, says White House officials and multiple House Republicans participated in planning meetings with organizers of the January 6 pro-Trump rallies that preceded the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Two of the organizers told uh, Rolling Stone. Two people involved in the planning of the rallies who have shared information with the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th oh, attack no. told Rolling Stone they had participated in, quote, dozens of planning briefings ahead of the rallies. Quote, I remember Marjorie Taylor Greene specifically, one organizer told the outlet. I remember talking to probably close to a dozen other members at one point or another or their staffs, unquote. Uh, <clears throat> um, we would talk to Bobert's team. Cawthorne's team, Gozar's team, like back to back to back. The organizer told Rolling Stone, adding that Gozar even floated, quote, blanket pardons, unquote, in a separate investigation to urge them to organize the rallies. Uh, Our impression was that it was a done deal, that he'd spoken to the president about it in the Oval Office in a meeting about pardons and that our names came up, the organizer said. They were working on submitting the paperwork and getting members of the House Freedom Caucus to sign on as a show of support. The two organizers who spoke to the outlet received several assurances about the pardons, the organizer said. So, in other words, like, don't worry about it, uh, uh, you're going you're to be pardoned. Uh, so j- just like uh, Trump went out there and said, you know, y- you could be a better fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore if you don't, uh, let's, let's uh, march up to the uh, Capitol building, and then he hightails it back to the, uh, to the White House. Uh, And and lets everyone else get uh, get arrested, Uh, and uh, you know, uh, meanwhile, they they all thought they were going to be pardoned for doing this because you know then the the new the new QAnon regime (laughs) would 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 rise out of the ashes of the uh, Illuminati government. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! You know it really does seem pretty pathetic the way you're 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 putting all of this. Um, I mean it's uh well yeah. So so what I'm getting from your book is that we're not gonna walk away from this necessarily being like oh, but there might still be something to this. You're pretty much going no no. There's this is totally just uh look at it for what it is. But there is no QAnon is not a legitimate conspiracy.
1: I well, n- n- not in the sense that, um, <clears throat> in other words, there are certain elements of it that are that are legitimate. Like, because in other words, any any disinformation campaign has to have a core of truth to it; otherwise, it won't right. work. You know. Uh, so I, I mentioned earlier about you know taking those. Sort of anti fascist conspiracies and flipping them. Uh, so, for example, there is a book published in the 90s called The Franklin Cover Up uh, by uh, John W. Uh, DeCamp. Uh, and, and that book was all about a pedophile ring that was operated by uh, prominent Republicans like uh, this Nebraska businessman named Lawrence E. King Jr. Um, and supposedly, it was reportedly a crime ring that overlapped with Iran-Contra money laundering schemes operating out of the Reagan-Bush White House. Yeah. Um, uh So, so they, so QAnon took this Republican scandal and flipped it so that it involves nothing but liberal Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, uh, so there are these these elements that. That are accurate. Like I said at the beginning of the Out of Shadows documentary, about talking about the connections between uh, Washington D.C. and Hollywood, and you know Hollywood being used as a propaganda machine. Well, that's that's true to some extent. I mean, it has been used for those purposes at times. Um, uh, so that that's a that, that's a completely legitimate concern. So you'll see certain elements of of the QAnon narrative uh, have this. Um, Foundation of truth to it, but then they take it off into, in just into completely phantasmagoric areas.
2: Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, can we, uh, you know, is there, is there, can you give us the good news that JFK Jr. is still alive? Um, You know, I mean, because, (laughs) uh, yeah, the the theory
1: there, by the way, was that you know Hillary had to kill jfk jr so she could run for his seat in in new york for the the seat that he would have gotten if he had run and oh so my hillary gosh. had to assassinate <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then of course you know back last november twenty-second there's this uh... you know new generation conspiracy theories conflicting with older generation conspiracy theories because in daily plaza november twenty-second you had you know the old guard, you know, still trying to figure out what the hell happened in 1963. But suddenly, Daily Plaza flooded with all these QAnon people who are there with signs waiting for days because they thought that JFK Jr. was going to show up like in a limousine or parachute down from the sky. I don't know, hearing right. a puff of smoke. I-, I don't know why they thought he was going to appear there. Uh, but supposedly, JFK Jr. was going to show up, and then, uh, you know, and then that was when he was going to confirm uh you know their beliefs that he was still alive and secretly working with Donald Trump to bring down the uh the black hats the illuminati
2: Oh, there were so many weird things. I remember that time in the spring of 2020 when people were posting people all around the world saying, where we go one, we go all. Uh, The Kennedys, weren't there cousins of the Kennedys singing Timber? It's going down. And people were saying, oh yeah, this is them confirming this whole, this this, uh, black hat conspiracy. Um, All the stuff, I mean, there, there were just so many. Uh, Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn, getting pardoned. Well, that was going to be yeah, because he had to go down because they're going in the deep underground military bases. I mean, there was just a bunch of things happening at once. People were it was it was live action conspiracy. I mean, we were living it in real time. Um, I I don't even. It seemed at, at times it almost seemed too perfect uh it was it was the, i could see how you would fall into it i mean i was sitting around during the pandemic and i was watching these posts come in and i'd go huh, that, that is weird that these people are happy about this and so many people seem revved up about this and but but uh, i i just can't trump is such a perv when he talks about his daughter how is he the child yeah how is he the child like how is he the great savior of children I mean I just there was so much that didn't add up about it on the other side that um, yeah I mean it it is an interesting study in perceptual psychology
1: well uh, I think that was another function of QAnon was to distract from the negative news stories that were about to come out about Trump you may recall there was a woman who was going to uh, who was claiming that Trump had uh, raped her when she was 13 at Jeffrey Epstein's condo in New York, uh, and she had given a press conference in in, in Las Vegas, and then uh, suddenly she dropped out and disappeared. Then the whole Epstein thing exploded, just um, just just after the QAnon thing starts. So I think one of the the um, uh, it's it's best to when you start a kind of psyop like this, it's best if it has if it if it scratches a lot of itches at once. <laughs> yeah, like it yeah. serves many different purposes at the same time. So uh basically I, I, I like to rather than quote from Noam Chomsky or, you know, Michael Parenti, <laughs> you know, intellectuals like this, it's better to reference pop culture. Uh, yes. So there's an episode of The Office, the sitcom with Steve Carell. Oh yeah. Uh there's an episode where Uh, Steve Carell knows a rumor about Stanley, one of his employees, that Stanley's having an affair. And so uh, he's very proud that he knows this secret bit of information. So he goes around, he tells everyone about it. Then later Stanley says, hey, you're ruining my life. You know, no one can know about this. So Steve Carell suddenly realizes that he's messed up. So So he says, he's talking to the camera, and he says, how do you pull back information that you've already let out? You can't. He goes, but what you can do is to then spread a bunch of, bunch of other lies <laughs> <laughs> that then obscures the, the, the real bit of information. So he goes around and starts spreading all these outrageous rumors about everyone else in the office. So by the end of it, everyone's so confused that they don't know which was the real rumor or which was the lie. Uh, that's QAnon. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so all this information was about to come out about Trump's connections to Epstein – so instead of uh, what I talked about earlier, controlling your own narrative, creating your own reality, instead of Trump being a predator and a victimizer of children, we're going to create a narrative where he's the hero and he's saving the children. Right. Uh, and, and so that's the narrative that was constructed to combat the Epstein thing, which hadn't even really exploded yet.
2: Yeah. But
1: they no doubt knew that it was coming out on the horizon.
2: Oh, that is—they are very clever. These—I uh, don't know. I mean, would, can we give them clever? Do, do you think? Would yeah, we just, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say. I would say clever. Uh, and and um, of course, you, you might argue. You know, is it successful propaganda? Well, since the entire purpose of it was to was to reelect Donald Trump. I mean, it's kind of like it was like the 21st century version of creep. You know, G. Gordon Lee and E. Howard Hunt, the committee to reelect the president, right? Uh, right. Back, back in the early 70s, you know, E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy was running around breaking into the office of Daniel Ellsberg, psychiatrist, um, uh, putting LSD um, the steering wheel of um, Jack Anderson, prominent uh, journalist, uh... <laughs> just so that he would hallucinate and drive off a bridge or something, it, rather than doing things that were quite as overt. Uh, uh and and potentially violent as that instead the committee to reelect the president well it took a, a, the advice of aquino and paul valley in mind war instead of doing something face to face violent uh that's that's overt like that. Instead, uh you create a rapport with your audience and you make them think that they're doing things on their own. So when they storm the Capitol building they actually think they came up with that idea. <laughs> Until
2: afterwards yeah, right.
1: where they're sitting in a prison and they're like, wait a minute, how the hell did this happen? Uh and uh you know, we there were several Q quote Q suicides afterwards. Uh fairly respectable people who nonetheless you know, lost their minds uh, and, uh, like lemmings, uh, followed the crowd into the Capitol building suddenly found themselves in, 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 in a deep load of legal problems, and uh, some of them you know, killed themselves. And I'm sure it was almost like you know, waking up from a dream. So i like, wait a minute, what, how the hell did this happen? How did I get here? Um, right. I mean, that, the subtitle, The Cult of Donald Trump, you know, I, I don't use that word lightly. Uh, there are cult-like aspects to it, similar to, say, Scientology. Um, I mean, I, I knew a guy who was in Scientology for 10 years, and uh, they had him digging ditches out near Riverside uh, where where they have their uh, movie studio. It's where they shoot all their like Scientology recruitment videos.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: he was out there digging ditches for like 15 cents a day. Uh, and um, he said... What he told me was when you first joined, um it wasn't like it's not like stupid people get involved in that. I mean I don't think whatever you think of Tom Cruise as an actor. I don't think Tom Cruise is a stupid person uh obviously he's not obviously he's made a lot of very intelligent career choices over the years, right? You don't do that if you're of subnormal intelligence. So here he is. He's been in cytology for years. Why is that? You know, why are intelligent people drawn to it? Uh, what this guy told me was early on, the techniques that they gave him actually uh, successfully cured a lot of anxieties that he had. Um, he had had a lot of like childhood trauma, and they, they gave him these techniques uh, to, to overcome. Uh, those those traumatic memories that he had, that's what he called white Scientology. White Scientology, black Scientology. And then after they lure you in with that, with these techniques that were actually very helpful, then as you go further in, you you, you do these uh, sessions with the e-meter. Yes. Uh, and you, you're, you're suddenly telling the, the, the person who's running the e-meter sessions, you're telling them like secret secrets. Uh, secret parts of your past, uh, things, it's almost like a confessional, Yes. but, but instead you got the e-meter there. It's like a, it's like a science fiction confessional. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and as you go further up the levels and you, you donate more money to the organization, pretty soon they've got a big hefty file of all these things you've said during these e-meter sessions. Then later on, when you get to the high level and they reveal that Xenu is like the Lord Creator of the universe, <laughs> extraterrestrial who uh, came from outer space and landed in the volcano, um, uh, and parts of his body flew out, exploded out of the volcano, and then parts of the Xenu are now embedded in people's bodies, and you have to exorcise them with these Z meter readings. <laughs> uh, but right. by the way, mentioning Lovecraft, that's another Lovecraftian kind of. Weird science fictional John W. Campbell kind of idea. Uh, w- w- once you get to the top levels and they reveal this to you, and and you say to yourself, Wow, this is crazy! I've wasted 10 years on this. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna break out of this. Um, you might think twice because now you're presented with information that hey, uh, we've got all this information uh, in these e-meter. Confessions that you did, and you know, maybe you don't want this stuff to to, to get out. You know, oh, uh, you might. Wow. And and so, so this guy, he, he broke he broke away, um, and uh, he they, they Scientology teaches you how to combat the the enemy. Uh, so he said he used all those techniques that they taught him, and 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 flipped it and used it on them. So he, he knew exactly how they thought, because he'd been in the organization for so long. So he, he knew exactly when they would come out and try to stalk and harass him. So he would be there before them, and he would stalk and harass them. Um, uh, so there, but there is that point where you, know, you have to, if you're a member of Scientology, either your family has to come and join you in the church, yes. or you have to excommunicate them from your life. You can have no more connection with them at all. Uh, and we saw that with, with QAnon, uh, uh, where uh, there, there was this, there was this uh, article in, the, uh, in, in one um, publication where this teenage girl, she was like 17 or 18, uh, they, they, the parents kicked her out of the house because she was trying to reason with them and say, you know, this is crazy, mom and dad. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And finally, they were like, well, if, if that's the way you think about it, then they just kicked her out of the house. She was like living in her car um uh and and that that scenario like re, just repeat that you know uh, add Infinitum because uh that same scenario of just having to exercise the people from real life who who refuse to join the cult uh that that's happened multiple times with QAnon and it's 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 really ironic that their whole slogan is save the children uh there was one guy um in, in uh in Santa Barbara uh, I mentioned this in the book. Uh, he was a Christian surfing instructor who took his kids to Mexico and then killed them with a spear gun uh, because he had learned from QAnon. He got this idea in his head that his kids had reptilian Illuminati blood in them oh and that he was actually gosh. saving them. And his his wife had no idea. He th- She thought that he was just going off on a vacation with the kids. She said she had no idea there was no signs of a mental breakdown, no signs of schizophrenia, nothing. She had no idea. It was a complete and utter shock. Uh uh and and this kind of violence that you know, there was a guy who tried to blow up the the the, the, the Hoover Dam yeah. <laughs> that was quoting stuff from QAnon. There was the guy who shot up the pizza joint, the comet ping pong, which which has emerged as kind of like Mordor. Uh, in the QAnon narrative, it's like it's yeah, the it's the yeah. dark headquarters of Sauron, you know. Um, and he he went there and uh, shot up the place with a gun, uh, shooting into the floor because he said that's where the kids were being held. But you know, if you're trying to save the kids, why are you shooting into the floor into the basement?
2: Uh, um, right. And then it right. turned out there
1: was no basement. Uh, and I, I had um, I, uh, uh, there was one. Uh, A friend of mine told me that the theory was that that guy was actually some sort of Manchurian candidate, mind-controlled dupe of the Illuminati, and he had gone to shoot up the computers that had all the secret top information in the pizza joint to to destroy the uh, sensitive information. (laughs) I thought, thought, okay, wait a minute. When Jeffrey Epstein was under investigation in Florida, uh, what happened was before the cops had come and uh, take all... Of the evidence someone in the police department tipped off epstein so what did epstein do he got rid of all his computers he didn't mind control someone to drive 300 miles yes florida and shoot up the, the computer he just got rid of the computers uh so you know you you have like convoluted explanation upon convoluted explanation to explain how all this Fits together, and it's it's very much um, I, I, it's almost g- given the fact that the popularity of uh, you know superhero movies in the past like 20 years, uh, it, it's perfectly suited for it's it's a kind of comic book continuity QAnon. Yeah, you, you yeah. Know, you know, there's the good guys, the bad guys, the black hats, the white hats. There's this eternal struggle over good versus evil. <laughs> and Trump is the superhero, uh, you know, and, and Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> Arch, uh, Miss Satanica, villainess. Um, and uh, everything is very comic booky, convoluted. You know, the same type of people who remember factoids, you know, from from comic books and right. science fiction movies going back decades. That's the kind of, kind of like a file cabinet brain you have to have to keep all the elements of the QAnon mythology, you know, in your head. Yeah, Anthony Weiner's laptop,
2: right? That, it, that, that's it, the MacGuffin.
1: Exactly. And speaking of that, you know, that's, yeah, that's the MacGuffin. It's the Maltese Falcon in, in, right. in, the, in the scenario. There, there was a guy, speaking of, you know, save the children, there was another guy um, that um, kidnapped his own kids because he thought that the deep state were going to kidnap him. So he kidnapped his kids, drove off with them. Uh, his, the wife was in the car. I guess he and the wife were estranged, but he started driving off in the car, and the wife bailed out the back seat. She was like, "Later, kids. You know, I'll go get help." You know, she she just she jumped out, and he led the the cops on this high speed chase. And it was in the news, and he was live streaming it. So you see, hear him on the live stream with the kids crying in the back. And he's yelling out about uh, Anthony Wiener's laptop, Hillary Clinton and Uma you know, eating children's brains
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? in the gosh. supposed video. <laughs>
1: uh, and he's yelling out on the live stream, QAnon, help me. Donald Trump, help me, because the police are like right behind him. Uh, and like, this guy was in such an alternate state of reality that he actually thought that Donald Trump was going to come and prevent the cops from arresting him. Uh, and at one point, his the the older girl in the car who was like a t- young teenager, like about 13 or something. She she starts to, in order to like confuse him. She goes, she's like, Dad, I'm a part of the conspiracy. I'm a part of the Illuminati. She's just trying to like like mess with him to, to try to get him to right. stop the car or whatever, or throw her out of the car or whatever. And he and he's like, what? And uh, he starts getting like super paranoid. Because uh, now she's admitting to be part of the conspiracy. So it's 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 ironic that the only a uh, documented incident we have of someone kidnapping kids and ranting about eating children's brains <laughs> is a QAnon follower.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and 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 it's the same after the jan- after um after the election in 2020. uh... Stop the steal. Uh, they they arrested two guys who had QAnon bumper stickers on their car in uh, I think it was Philadelphia. They were outside some boating center, and they had a bunch of fake ballots in the back of their car, and they had a bunch of weapons, and uh... and they arrested them. And I thought, oh here we go again. Here here's the only actual documented incident we have of someone having fake ballots. <laughs> 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 it's in this car decked out with QAnon stickers. So, you know, t- talk about manifesting your own reality. Uh, uh, uh,
2: uh, 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 yeah. And and I know you you go into so much more of this in this book. That is uh, when is I don't know. Uh, I think we're going to this episode will probably air relatively soon to the recording. But where uh, where can people find it?
1: So if you go to Amazon, look up Operation Mindfuck or just look up Robert Guffey, you'll see. Operation My is scheduled to be published July 5th. It's as close as we could get it to July 4th. Oh, um,
2: awesome. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: and and so uh, that will be officially out uh, July 4th, but you can already it's already available for pre-order, so you can pre-order it now on on Amazon or through the publisher uh, or books, o r uh, b o o k s.com. Um, and and all of my other books are available on On Amazon as well, Bell Lugosi's Dead, which I mentioned, Kortoskatology, and, and all the rest.
2: Yes, um, and, and such a great advanced praise for this book. I mean, we got Alan Moore, uh, Mitch Horwitz. Right. Uh, that's awesome. Those are two people that kind right. of teeter on the edge of, uh, you know, fr- I mean, they are fringy. They are fringe.
1: Yes, yes, that that, uh, that that's true, and uh, uh, I was very pleased with the Alan Moore uh, quote uh, because um, I, I read Watchmen when I was I read Watchmen number one when I was like 14. So so
0: good, yeah. Uh,
1: like like you know like when it first came out. Um, so I was I was very pleased with the the praise from Alan Moore, who doesn't really give out a lot of blurbs anymore. Yeah, uh, a lot of endorsements. Yeah, uh, so, so th- that's th- they're kind of fringy impressive. but
2: not as fringy as this. I mean, QAnon is like so far beyond Hermet I mean, yeah, no, there're definitely people that are psychics and Hermetic heal- uh, practitioners and and they will say, "Yeah, no, that that crap is that's crazy. These people are crazy." Um uh so <laughs> you know, at the very least, even though Alan Moore is a real magician and Mitch Horowitz teach uh, mitch horowitz teaches uh esoteric thoughts and brings it to the modern era um they both look at this as like an important document uh about a time in america where people were persuaded into a uh radically incendiary thought loops about the nature of reality you know
1: what? Uh, Alan Moore wrote. Uh, it, it's a pretty obscure. Uh, most people are familiar with *Beaver Vendetta*, or, or um, *From Hell*, or *Watchmen*. But um, Alan Moore wrote a rather obscure graphic novel. I don't know if it's in print. If you can find it, you should check it out. It's called *Brought to Light* by Alan Moore and Bill Sienkiewicz, um, and beautifully painted in this kind of psychedelic Ralph Steadman-esque way by, by Bill Sienkiewicz. But it's, a, uh, it's Alan Moore's analysis of the entire. Um, Iran-Contra, uh, Lapeka bombing, um, uh, Reagan-era conspiracies of the late 80s. Uh, it's narrated by this drunken American eagle sitting at a bar, uh, and, and you, the viewer... Uh, you're, you are talking to the Eagle as he's uh, boasting about all the covert um, <laughs> uh, CIA um, intelligence military operations going on at that time in, in Reagan's uh, America. So uh, I am, I'm sure Alan Moore, is, uh, he, he's very familiar with the entire conspiratorial uh, framework, uh, but uh, I don't think he... Um, uh, I think he has more of a Robert Anton Wilson view of it.
2: Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so look, I mean, uh, before we go, Mitch Horowitz says in the blurb that it's uh, a, a critical examination of how a massive fraction of our culture has imbibed a counter-reality. You know, we're still here. Uh, this is this is an issue there is still um you know i'm I'm not I'm not gonna be the first to say it I people talk about it all people that I really respect in politics are saying, hey, people still think people think that uh, I'm sure someone thinks that your examination of Q. Is something set up by the liberals? You know, I mean that's that's how messed up we are. You know, and and in a sense of uh, the you know new elections coming up, more devices this than ever. You know, more QAnon appointed people in government and and up for congressional seats. Um, you might argue that people are. I would argue that QAnon's not over. It's still going on. Um, oh. You yeah. know, yeah,
1: it's not over. No, no, not at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, there I don't are, know when we're going to get the drops again. I'm waiting every day. <laughs> well, I
1: don't think I don't think those are coming back. But uh, I say in the book that we're we're going to have QAnon without Q, and 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 we're seeing exactly that. Uh, there's there's uh, we have obviously Congressmen QAnon congressman, congresspeople. Uh, there is an article, uh, Southern um, uh, Poverty Law Center. Wrote an article that you should look up called White Nationalist January 6 Protesters in QAnon What You Need to Know About Border Vigilantes Along the Border. And it says um, In July, the Southern Poverty Law Center sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security alerting them to the militia presence at the border. Through a review of social media content, Hatewatch has learned culprits have included at least two QAnon adherents, four January 6th U.S. Capitol rioters, a snake oil salesman, and an anti-Semitic militia group that is attempting to recruit on the form of the notorious white nationalist site Stormfront. Anti government militia group Veterans on Patrol, led by Michael Lewis Arthur Meyer, has continued to peddle the notion that the migrant crisis is being, quote, orchestrated by the Biden administration as well as other QAnon conspiracies. These include the idea that the deep state is responsible for the crisis, that migrants are looking to harvest the organs of children, and that the situation at the border constitutes an invasion. Meyer isn't the only vigilante at the southern border who continues to perpetuate QAnon conspiracies. Uh, Rebecca Furland, leader of the group AZ Desert Guardians, has similarly espoused QAnon talking points while engaging in border activities earlier in the year. Um, and, 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 uh, and it goes on. Uh, so uh, it's spreading out to all these other areas, to the border. Um, uh, and I think you're going to see QAnon um, – basically, you're going to see a lot of these people who are continuing the QAnon narrative without mentioning Q, because they know that that's going to get them banned from YouTube or, or Twitter. So they're continuing the narrative. It's just they're not mentioning QAnon or Q a lot.
2: I meant to ask do you: Did you think Trump ever played into it? You know, they they kept playing the clips where he would uh, point at the baby with the Q or draw a Q in the air. I mean, uh, some people are just pattern recognizers. I mean that that's what we do as human beings. But but I wonder if you sure. ever caught any explicit uh, Trump b- beyond him directly saying, "Oh, sounds like uh, it's a, Q's a pretty good guy," <laughs> because he thinks I'm a good guy. <laughs> I'm trying to save the world, apparently. You know, beyond that, do you think? he knew what was going on?
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think some of that is just uh, coincidence, you know, a yeah, pattern recognition. Uh, but some of it, like when I said earlier, when he, uh, when there was some sort of obvious, like synchronicity between a Q post and something he would post on Twitter, um, uh, I you know, I wish I could dredge up a specific example right off the top of my head, but there were, there were several, several times like that, and I think that that would obviously have to be organized beforehand. It's impossible that he <laughs> that he wouldn't know uh, yeah. that that the QAnon narrative was being written for this purpose. You know, what's
2: well, their excuse? They had the the Excuses Project Looking Glass. They have the time travel technology, so. Trump would do it and then, yeah, they even brought that in there. I mean, look, I've had people that claim to be time travelers on this show, but I mean, that is like far out to bring into a political conspiracy like this and people just bought it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the the, the time travel thing tied in with uh, something having to do with Donald Trump's uh, grandfather being connected oh, to yes. Nikola Tesla.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got the Tesla papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there there is some interesting stuff there with I mean, look, it's all very fun. It's a, I I do love the Tesla the Tesla conspiracy. It's a, the Tesla's a great rabbit hole for conspiracy people. Um Oh, crap. Absolutely. It's it's so good. It's so good. But yes, again, it's when it leads to violence and yeah, the horror of it. Um, you know, it's it's it definitely there's
1: there's there's a congressman uh, in my my hometown, Torrance, California, where I grew up. There's a guy who's he's not a congressman, but he wants to be uh, Omar Navarro uh he he was a total QAnon candidate uh, until he got sent to prison for stalking his uh girlfriend another QAnon candidate who was trying, who was running for congress against Nancy Pelosi and Omar Navarro was trying to boot out Maxine Waters but then uh he, he so he and his girlfriend were like QAnon power couple for a while there uh there's pictures of him hanging out with Roger Stone and Omar Navarro was sent to prison for stalking his his QAnon girlfriend uh, but now he's out, and he's running for Congress again uh, this, this year. Uh, so who, who knows? Uh, maybe uh, – and he, there's a quote from him. I read an article, I think it was in the New York Times, where they're writing about the current state of QAnon. And there's a quote from him where he actually says explicitly, oh, uh, well, I'm not going to mention Q anymore. You know, I'm not stupid. Um, but uh. he wasn't refuting it.
2: You know. <laughs> look, okay, okay. I, I have two final questions. I gotta get in here. This is, I, it, um, one is, what do you then make of Epstein's quote-unquote suicide and the lack of information from the Ghislaine Maxwell trial? I mean, look, I know it's not the same as what Q's claiming, but. Do those things at least seem weird to you in your worldview, or do you have a rational explanation? Well, uh,
1: I, 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 think it's. I mentioned this in the book. I, I think it's very unlikely that Epstein um, uh, committed suicide. <laughs> it's, it's like the the most improbable suicide of the year award, you know. Yeah. Um, there was a whole, and there have been articles about this in in mainstream uh, newspapers. I quote one of them in the book, where someone who was actually in that same uh, uh, cell, as Epstein said, impossible, impossible to, to do that. It, it supposedly one camera uh, malfunctioned, two of the guards were sleeping.
2: <laughs> right. It makes no uh, sense.
1: No. Uh, and, and and so, you know, what was Epstein up to? I, I, I think it's kind of obvious that he was probably uh, funded by some uh, – perhaps foreign intelligence agency, and he was uh, accruing all of this blackmailable material and very powerful people, including uh, Prince Andrew and, and uh, all the other people who are mentioned in his little black book, which would include Bill Clinton, but would also include Donald Trump, who's mentioned on page 85, if I remember correctly. Um, and um, uh, obviously he was probably uh, collecting this information in order to blackmail Powerful people, so that those people could then uh, fulfill the agenda of the people for whom Epstein was working. I, I think that that seems to be a fairly reasonable conclusion, um, unless he, he unless he was able to buy his island off being a hedge fund uh, manager.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. No, no, no. I mean, it's uh, okay. Okay. So, so there still is room for weird things in this world. Um, These kind of anomalous oh, absolutely. considerate. Yeah. That, okay. So then I guess my final question, Robert, is this, I mean, you seem like the guy that could come up with the PSYOP. To get people out of this conspiratorial thinking, what would it what would it require if you were to write a counter conspiracy or create one to cue to get those same people back into the normal folds in, in the same way that Robert Anton Wilson was hoping to with with achieving this higher state of consciousness? I mean, could you? Where would you even start?
1: That's that's very interesting. You know, I have the the same friend I mentioned before, who lived in Russia and and suspected that maybe QAnon was a Russian disinformation uh, campaign. He he speculated that there was some sort of Russian uh, Robert Guffey doppelganger. Oh my God, <laughs> who, who was responsible for constructing the QAnon uh, narrative? Um, I want you know uh, Neil Gaiman, the writer, comic book writer, screenwriter. Novelist. I heard Neil Gaiman say in an interview once that he said if somebody asked him, if you weren't a writer what what would you do? or If you weren't writing comic books, what would you do? And he said you know, he said I would love to if this existed as a profession he said I would love to create religions. Um, And he said his clients would come to him and say this is the religion I want. Can you create a mythology (laughs) that embodies these either philosophical principles or these theological principles, and then he would, uh, on demand, create those deities and the background for them wow. and, and all the, <laughs> the moralistic principles that would underlie them. Uh, and um, I thought that's a very like Jorge Luis Borges kind of that's awesome. idea. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and so, in what you're proposing is sort of similar. <laughs> we need a conspiracy theory that has this effect. Uh, how do we? How do we go about <laughs> doing that? Um, and uh, that, that's a fascinating. I, I'll have to mull that over. I mean, I'll have can, to mull that can over. we very...
2: fix this country from this conspiratorial thinking? Is
1: there? Uh, so it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's it's you're you're suggesting a kind of a positive psyop, yes, uh, yes. as opposed to a negative one. Well, that you know, I, I in in my um, my composition classes, I often teach propaganda. I have them read um, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, Brave Brave New World Revisited, um, and and go into it. Show them advertisements. You know, manipulation techniques used by Madison Avenue, um, political campaigns old propaganda oh, movies yeah. from the 50s because you can stuff. see how ridiculous those are. You know, that's the wonderful thing about watching old propaganda is that you can immediately see how absurd it is. But when you're in the middle of it in 2020 or 2021 or 2022, you can't see the – a lot of people can't see the absurdity. <laughs> you know, it's so what Marshall right. McLuhan said. We don't, we don't know who discovered water, but we know it wasn't a fish because fish are in water all the time, so they don't even know it exists as an environment. And that's the same thing with people, you know, in – social media being bombarded by social media propaganda. They don't see uh, the absurdity unless it's taken out of its, con- uh, out of its out of its own context. In a way, I guess that's what I'm doing with Operation Mindfuck. I'm taking some of these posts out of the original context and putting it in a new context. And hopefully, in that way, you'd be able to see the absurdity of it. Mark yeah. McLuhan, uh, before he started uh, writing books like The Mechanical Bride and Understanding Media, the way he hit upon that was a lot of people think he was either a philosopher or a computer scientist, or no, he was an English instructor, and he was teaching composition classes to just freshman students in the 1950s in Wisconsin. And he started, instead of um, uh, teaching rhetoric using the standard methods, uh, he started pulling advertisements out of newspapers, and he would project it on the on the wall. And he he discovered that when he did that, um, unexpectedly. He wasn't expecting this. He would project an advertisement on the wall, and everyone in the class would laugh. Uh, it, for some reason, huh. taking the thing that they would normally see in a newspaper or in a magazine and putting it in a classroom setting was unexpected. And so the initial impulse was to laugh. They found it to be absurd because the commercials that, the, and, 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 um, and advertisements that you would just go past uh, and not think anything of it. When you're looking at it in a magazine or a newspaper, when it was taken out of its original context and put in a new context in the classroom, the students were immediately able to see how silly it was.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: which is that's when McLuhan started writing books like The Mechanical Bride, where he started analyzing advertisements as if they were pieces of art. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you can see how that leads to consp- uh, cryptoschatology, conspiracy theory as art form.
2: So maybe and... your book could do it. I mean, I don't know. I, look, I know that's a lofty goal and probably not even your goal at all, but um, I, I do wonder if a, a more, uh, I don't know, an a in-depth public exploration beyond who is Q – into into really popularizing the the mechanics behind it in the same way that we've uh. done with, you know, um, uh, Edward Bernays and, and people from the early 20th. These great advertise these great psychological, uh, you know, brilliant people that created uh, propaganda, and whatnot might call attention to it in a way that makes people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. They got us.
1: You would have to take the content of Operation Mindfuck and present it in a format other than a book.
2: Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That is, yes, yes. That is the issue. (laughs) Well, hopefully someone will. I mean, that's why you you go on shows, podcasts, and and who knows. I mean, I have no idea.
1: In a way, I'm doing that right now. (laughs) Yes. By talking to you.
2: Yeah, so, I, hey, I appreciate you doing it. Uh, Operation Mindfuck, QAnon, and the Cult of Donald Trump by Robert Guffey. Uh, available as close to the July 4th as possible. Wow, what a fascinating conversation. What a very interesting, interesting take on uh, a... a shameful moments and conspiracy theories who knows i mean maybe we'll come back maybe conspiracy theories will become fun again i'm looking forward to that day i know that's something my uncle said to me he said greg they were really fun until they became political
1: well i mean i guess you could argue they were always political even going back to like the 1800s you know you can name examples i mean you know uh, the the protocols of the elders of zion is a conspiracy theory and was definitely used as political propaganda uh, but the pendulum swings back and forth and so as i mentioned robert anton wilson and his discordian friends decided to flip the john Bircher script uh, to their own ends and then later someone came along and said well let you know f the discordians we're going to do the same thing so it, the pendulum swings back in the other direction eventually probably will morph into into something else hopefully something more <laughs> optimistic and positive
2: yes the positive psyop i love this idea i'm gonna think on that too i i like that um <laughs> I, I just believe you're capable of doing it based on your track record i i think if there's <laughs> anyone uh yes i love it i love it thank you so much robert for coming on this has been amazing i'm excited to read the book and the books i
1: i, I, I thank you for having me on i would uh, be happy to come back anytime you want
2: thank you so much Greatly appreciate it, Robert Guffey. What a whirlwind, huh? I want to thank Robert for coming on. Make sure you pre-order the book. The book link from O R Books or is in the show notes. I want to thank Rodney McGilbrey for the theme music. I want to thank Zero Boy for the pre-theme music. And I want to thank John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, for being a co-producer on this show. Now, the, oh, I said too much. I said too much. I also swore too much in this episode, but it's the title of his book. I've got soap. I'll wash my mouth out.